Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So you think that you can tell us how to live our lives. Never questioning the thoughts from which your moral code derives. You think that suffering is part of some great plan that's been devised. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder what will it take for you to start You're somebody that I used to know. There you go. <laughs> so hello and welcome to the Atheist Experience. Today is Sunday, February 3rd, 2019. I'm your host, Tracy Harris, and with me today is co-host Matt Delahunty. Thank you very much. Yeah. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah. And so you are normally the host of the Atheist Experience, right? That's uh, that, Yeah. That's why we've got you on here today. Unfortunately. <laughs> Would you like to promote your show? <laughs> yes. You should tune into the Atheist Experience someday when I'm sitting on that side of the table. Uh, Phil Ferguson was supposed to be here. That's right. And unfortunately, Phil lives in Chicago where it's like, I don't know, 40 below and completely encased in ice as if they're trying to recreate a live version of Frozen or something. Yeah, I'm laughing, but it's not funny. Like, people have died. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Phil couldn't get a flight out and couldn't find a suitable flight that was going to allow him to do the weekend. So we've postponed. Phil will be on some other time in the future. And... When Phil messaged me and said, hey, I'm not going to be able to make it, I was like, oh, man, I'm really sorry to hear that. <laughs> and then I messaged Mark and said, can I do the show with Tracy? Because we don't ever get to do the show anymore. Well, and in the meantime, I was pinging all the co-hosts, right? Yeah. And I was, like, going down the list because I was like, well, I'll save Matt till last because he has to host all the time. I'm sure he'd like a week off, right? So, no. Yeah, and then I, they were like, no, no. I'd no, do this Matt. twice a week Volunteering. if I could. Volunteering. Okay, so here we go. And let's see, we've got uh, The Atheist Experience is a production of the Atheist Community of Austin, which is a Texas nonprofit educational organization dedicated to promoting separation of church and state and positive atheist culture. We have dinner every night after the show, and so you can come down to the Free Thought Library on Canning Lane to sit with us and have some food. Uh, at the, it's also the studio location where people can come and watch the show live. Um, just to say, I'm probably heading out that door pretty quick because it is Super Bowl Sunday, which is not meaningful to many people who watch the show. It I'm is, only excited. It is meaningful for me. <laughs> I'm only excited for the Captain Marvel and Avengers Endgame trailers that I know are going to happen. Yeah, today. and I do like the commercials as somebody who works worked in marketing, you know, in the past. And so, okay. And that out of the way, we do have a few announcements. So just to let people know, here in Austin, we do have a Darwin Day announcement. So Saturday on February 9th, there are going to be some Darwin Day festivities that are going to happen from noon to 5 at the J.J. Pickle Research Campus at 10100 Burnett Road. Please uh, go and check that out if you'd like to. There are going to be free events, including displays and family-friendly activities, as well as lectures for adults and a trivia contest. So be sure to come out and check it out and celebrate Darwin's contributions to Western civilization and science. We also have for Valentine's Day 
Secular Sexuality will have a show followed by Shelley Siegel, who is going to be in concert at the Chateau Bellevue here in Austin. Tickets are $30 per person, and they can be purchased at tickets at bit.ly forward slash secular sexuality. Shelley Siegel will also be our guest here on the Atheist Experience on February 17th. So be sure to tune in, especially if you're a fan. This will be the weekend for that. So um, if you're here in Austin, you can check her out in concert. And if you're not, you can check her out on the programs and uh, get to see her live. So that's going to be... I just realized I need to order tickets. I, granted, I'm going to be on the show with her on that day, but I, I need to get tickets for the show for Valentine's yeah. Day. And then also... Oh, we do. Make this Valentine's Day one to remember. It's time to get sexy. Live in Austin, Texas, an intimate performance by recording artist Shelley Siegel follows a live taping of Secular Sexuality. Food is included and drinks will be available for purchase. Get your tickets now by going to eventbrite.com and search for Secular Sexuality. That's eventbrite.com. Search Secular Sexuality. All right. So there's that. And then a final note about a control room chair donation. And we want to thank Bob Newhouse, who donated money for a, for new chairs. Um, the production gurus have put a video together, and they would like folks to see it as a thank you to Bob. All right. So, yeah, thanks again. New chairs. Which is cool. It's nice because these guys actually have to sit quite a lot <laughs> through all of these programs. That, Especially that they're working on. when both shows decide to do like two Ooh. and a half, three hours. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and and I just I, you know that's a good point to let people know that when we're when we do the overtime, when we go into you know like late callers and go post show, um, we are asking a lot. You know, these are yeah. guys in the production side, and and they're sitting there and they're kind of working hard while we're just chatting away. You know, so it's important to to realize like the you know the extra work we're asking people to do. By the way, if you're a terrible procrastinator like I am, constantly <laughs> putting things off, um, when we get around to that secular sexuality show with the Shelley Siegel concert and you're like, oh, crap, I forgot to order tickets, you, you should remember that I literally ordered my ticket just now while that thank you to Bob was playing. So you are without excuse. <laughs> it's, All right. it's that easy. Don't let Matt make you look bad. Yes. <laughs> okay. So let's go ahead. We got quite the call lineup here. So we're going to start with Sid in the UK. You're on with Tracy and Matt, and you are calling to discuss the moral implications of the Euthyphro dilemma. Correct? Sid? Oh, hello? Hey, hey. there you are. Oh, yeah, sorry. I had my phone muted. I didn't realize. I'm uh, sorry. We've all done that. That's a polite thing. Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Um, I feel like moral implications was poor wording. I basically wanted to ask, and um, I'm glad <coughs> Matt was on the show, because you know you know how you've heard like theists say that the Euphorfro dilemma is a false dilemma? Yes. You heard that, right? Yes. Well, <laughs> I recently like noticed that um, I have a bit of a problem, even though I've been kind of a follower, I have a problem with William Lane Craig, talking about divine command theory because he says the Euphorfro dilemma is a false dilemma, but then he talks about divine command theory, and I couldn't help but thinking that that is one of the prongs of the Euphorfro dilemma, Yeah, the one that says that something is good once God commands it. Is sure. that right? Yeah, yeah. pretty much. I would agree, by the way, 
that technically speaking, the euthyphobia dilemma could be viewed as a false dichotomy uh, for, or a false dilemma, merely because the wording of the two prongs are such that it's not a direct negation of the other. I'm unaware of any additional option. Um, and I think when you get to the core of what the euthyphobia dilemma is saying, I don't think there is actually a false dilemma there. I think it's a language thing. Okay. And, and I would agree with you that I would agree with you that Craig's when Craig talks about divine command theory, that is functionally identical to something is moral because God says so. Yeah, because I remember him talking about I think it was the like massacre of the uh, the Canaanites. Yeah, right. They d- they deserved it in the ab- in the absence of a divine command that would have been bad. But once God commanded it, it, it became good. like good. And I'm and I'm thinking that that. You know, how can you believe that and then say the euphoria dilemma is, is false? It just seems like I, I can't get any believers to even talk about the euphoria dilemma. They always shrug it off and say, this has been answered so many times, so let's not talk about it. So I figured I'd just bite the bullet and ask you guys because you're the only ones who seem to address it. So, Well, now, you're, you're listed on here as a theist. Are you a theist of some kind that doesn't ascribe to this? Well, I am... Like kind kind of a believer who is is kind of struggling with it. That's the problem. I feel like I'm I'm almost embarrassed to admit to this at my age, but I'm sort of one of those people who still believes, but I'm kind of like afraid to challenge. Well, you know what? I'm just gonna just in on, on. I'm gonna make your case for you here because a lot of times you can have like reasonable information in front of you and kind of see where it reasonably leads and still not shake a feeling, right? And sometimes belief is based on a feeling, you know, or something more more gut level or visceral, yeah. and and it it doesn't mean that that's just gonna evaporate because you see that something's not reasonable about it. Just like a phobia, you can be afraid of something and understand that you suffer from a phobia that it's not reasonable. It doesn't make your fear just disappear. Yeah, the key is to recognize yeah. that the reason you're still in belief or the reason that you have this phobia is some sort of irrational or potentially irrational argument, essentially, yeah. that you, you can't quite put into words. And once you realize that, then it shifts the focus, which is, okay, I understand that on an intellectual level, perhaps God, belief in God, yeah. uh, God isn't rational, and yet I can't shake this. And then you get to address why you can't shake it. Is it, you know, does it, does it feel good? Is it appealing? Is this yeah. notion that you're going to live forever appealing, you know? But that's something you can dive into yeah. yourself, you know, in all kinds of areas, like yeah. in forums or in further reading or just in sitting and kind of thinking about, you know, yourself and what motivates you. But it's still okay to yeah. say... I have these questions in the meantime, and there's yep. these things that I'm seeing, and, and I want to talk to other people. Clearly, you've given you know a noted theist an opportunity to respond to it in his own words, and you're basically saying, I've listened to what he has to say, and it's not satisfying to you. Yeah, and, and can, I, can I just say, I recently learned the word, I think it's pronounced apirophobia, which is like a fear of like eternity or eternal life or something like that. Depends and, uh, on if my relatives are there. That- Yeah. Yeah. I I, I did not know that word, but yeah. I think it's pronounced that way. I'm sorry. It's basically like, it's something I've had pretty much since I was about six years old. The idea of living like forever in some kind of heaven was always kind of frightening to me. I didn't like the idea of living forever, but I just assumed it would happen. And now that I'm sort of, I'm having like these thoughts that are kind of going against 
like, you know, the authority, like God. Now I'm thinking heaven was a scary idea, but now I'm thinking what's even scarier than that is if I upset God and then he sends me somewhere else. That's what I know this seems... It's the better, worse option. It, it, irrational, but it's just... It, don't, I I'm wouldn't, glad that Jeff... I'm, I wouldn't worry about it too much, Sid. I, I'll tell you why. Um, so at one point... Of course, I was a Christian, so I believed that I was going to live forever and go on to heaven. Um, when I found my way out, I basically argued myself into the position that living forever would be a bad thing. Eventually, you know, you'd do everything there was to do, learn everything there is to learn, and it would just be boring. And so then I would argue that I want to live as long as I reasonably can with the option to end my existence when it's just dead-ass boring. And then later on, I realized... Yeah, that Later on, I realized that, first of all, you know, absent some sort of supernatural thing, we can't live forever because the universe is going to suffer heat death at some point. But the other thing was, I'd like that period of wanting to live as long as possible. I don't think it ever could get boring because we live in a dynamic universe. There's always something changing. There's new people being born. There's new things being learned. And you, you know, the notion that you could know everything about everything. Uh, it's kind of absurd, but what you might happen is you might know all that you want to know about. Yeah, that's everything. the thing that whatever's changing or new, you might just be sitting there going, "Yeah, I just don't care anymore. Yeah. I'm tired of the new." Congratulations on your new baby. I hope it discovers yeah. something that I didn't know about, but <laughs> I don't feel like waiting around for that to happen. Right, but I mean, I guess the, yeah. the idea too is that thing that you've talked about, where in heaven you won't get bored because you won't be you. Yeah. Somehow it will be exciting. You You'll wake up every day not remembering that is your, you know, hundred millionth day. We, we were having a conversation <laughs> about this. We have, we have a, a guest in from the UK uh, whose mother, unfortunately, is, is suffering from Alzheimer's. And I'm working on some videos about why are there psychopaths? You know, how does, how does psychopathy f- fit into any God model? But it raised the question today while we were out there talking about it. How does Alzheimer's fit into that? And, you know, because at some point... Uh, my loved one is themselves in every conceivable way, and then they become less and less. I mean, we're all constantly changing, but I mean, this is a this is a stark becoming less and less. They are losing their memories. They are forgetting things. All the things that go into making them me, who they are, uh, are going away. Now, at some point, they'll die, and when they go to heaven, do they go to heaven as the person who's lost all their memory, or do they go to heaven having the memories that they had beforehand? And if it's the latter, then everything they did before in their life doesn't matter. Yeah, one word though, soul. Yeah. Soul, uh, soul that just clears it all up. Boom. And, but the other thing is, if they go back to that other time, then that means that entire, let's say it's 15 years that they uh, start gradually suffering from dementia, Alzheimer's, other things where they're no longer who they used to be. They don't have the same memories. What the fuck is that time for? How does that make sense in a God thing? If we're just going to reset you back to like the perfect version of you at 30, then doesn't that wipe out the intervening years? What what was the reason? And and I know apologists will say things like, well, you know, uh, this is the result of sin, so it's not really God's doing or God's allowing this to happen so that you will learn something about the human mind and Alzheimer's and who you love. Uh, it's just an absurd way to avoid the obvious, which is that... This is a feature, not a bug. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what... Yeah, like... Yeah, I was only about 12 years old when I first read a book on like neuroscience and learned about how the brain is like what is basically responsible for consciousness and that if our brain shuts down, then basically we switch off. And even at 12 years old, I kind of thought that that was basically saying if we die, then that's it. We're, we're out. Do, do you... I'm, I'm, I'm not... 
Do you remember your dreams? Like when you wake up, um, do, you, do you remember your dreams? Only sometimes. And what's even strange is sometimes I wake up and remember them, and then an hour later I don't remember them. Oh, I'm the, yeah. I think everyone's... Just, if you remembered all yeah. your dreams, your brain would just explode. Like if you yeah. couldn't forget them, it would be wild. But I very, very rarely remember. <laughs> like when I wake up, most of my life, not every night, but most of my life, if I go to sleep and I wake up, I have no way of knowing that I existed prior to that, that the, 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 the me of yesterday is, is the me of today, uh, that I wasn't replaced by a doppelganger or a clone, uh, that I wasn't dead in the intervening time. Uh, it's probably why Shakespeare wrote that line about uh, sleep, those little slices of death, how I loathe thee. Um, well, moment to moment, it's like you still have that whole, you know, thought experiment of what. How do you know that all your memories aren't just like one second sure. ago? So, but there, there's an illusion. Yeah, was, from the time I go to sleep till I wake up, if I don't remember anything about that and I have no experience <laughs> of that, okay. there's no illusion. It's just this is a missing block of time. Okay, but other yeah, people, I'm, see. I'm not really. Yeah, I put I a camera in my bedroom. Afraid of like, live stream. Make sure you're still there. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Sid. <laughs> No, I was going to say, I'm not really afraid of, like, oblivion, you know, like, nothing after death. So when I found that out, that that may be true, I wasn't troubled. It's just that even after all these years since I found out that that's probably the truth, I still can't get over this fear of, like, you know, like, this irrational fear of what if. I mean, it was bad enough believing the Bible and, like, the vague concept of, like, afterlife in Christianity, but I read the Quran a few years ago, and that is very explicit about what happens to non-believers and, and people who believe the wrong thing. And I'm thinking, I know it seems crazy, like it's just something people made up to frighten people like me into conforming, but I just, I just feel like you, you know what? You know what it's like. I know I'm. I'm, I'm embarrassed even talking about this. No, I'm gonna say if you haven't already, don't ever watch the Hellraiser series. Just my two cents. Oh, I have, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I would say yeah. go do a quick Google search for the Apocalypse of Peter, which should be in the Bible but isn't because people found it distasteful. And that will put everything that you read in the Quran to shame because it's very explicit. It's the reason that we have Dante's Inferno and the various notions about levels and areas of hell where the homosexuals are throwing themselves off a mountain onto all the homosexuals below, squishing them, and then, and then the bottom layer of the homosexuals have to crawl back out and climb all the way up to the top and women are being taunted by their miscarried or aborted fetuses and liars are being hum, hung up on their tongue. You talk about graphic, uh, it, but if you go back to the you know early second century, um, I, th I think the timing on that's right, the Apocalypse of Peter along with the Shepherd of Hermas and other things were considered to be scripture. They just weren't canonized. And so when they put together the list of canon, uh, canonical texts, they excluded those because people didn't like to read from them at services. When you die, you will, you know, liars will have a, a spike driven through their tongue and you'll be hung there. And I was like, what if you're guilty of like 12 different sins, roughly <laughs> equally? So you're gay and you lied and you were a tax collector. And, you know, do you have to like, oh, today I'm in Fork Hill and tomorrow I'm in Mountain Dive Hell. And the next day I'm in, you know, swimming in the, the blood of all the people that I inadvertently killed. I don't know. It's weird. Be in all the places. Yeah. Also, could I ask a, a question? It's like, this whole, this whole like idea about the logic of like why hell or something like that eternal damnation is even necessary. Like people would say like uh, 
sorry to invoke a cliche, but if people ask about Hitler, for instance, they say, oh, do you think Hitler should just get away with it then? And I'm thinking to myself, well, surely if there's any kind of justice to be had, it's not really about what happens to the person who does the bad thing. It's about what happens for the victims. Yes. Like if someone's car gets stolen, it's not enough to punish the person who stole the car. The person whose car got stolen needs to get their car back or a new car or something. Yep. The same thing applies with forgiveness. So, Forgiving that person doesn't get that the victim another new car. Yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking. I, I, I always feel like, I, I know this may sound strange, but I don't care if Hitler is being punished or if he got away with it or anything because nothing that ever happens to Hitler himself is ever going to change what he did. Yep. And like, I feel like no amount of punishment or, you know, if we say it's like hellfire and torture and that, no amount will ever be enough to really punish him for what he did. And people say, exactly, that's why it has to be eternal. And I say, no, that's why it's, it, that's why it's pointless in the first place. If no amount will ever be enough, then why bother? I mean, yeah, surely, I, like... like I, I really say, appreciate that sentiment. Like, yeah. I just want to add that this this has been a topic that has been I've been confronted with a lot lately, right? So... I'm one of those people who was like, you know, people can change and they can become better people. And I totally accept that. Um, but as a result of that, I think some of the folks that I've talked to have come away with the idea that what I'm saying is that, oh, all is forgiven, right? And that your past doesn't matter. <laughs> and I'm like, no, you can regret your past and move forward trying to make you know, recompense for what you've done, but it doesn't change what you did. And some of the things you did are bridges that have burned and there is just no rebuilding that. And it just because you become a better person, I can recognize the change in you and accept it and be glad that you have changed. It does not mean that you are now uh, exonerated for all past wrongdoing. Yeah, there's a really old quote, and I'm going to forget who it's from, so I'll just paraphrase it. But if I owe Tracy $5 and you forgive me, <laughs> that does Tracy no good. Uh, and yeah, the same is exactly. true. If I, I owe Tracy that. five bucks and you decide to punish yeah. me, that does Tracy no good. And either. I've been trying to explain to people that what has to happen is that the people who have been harmed are the ones who actually have to make the determination about whether the bridge is built again or yeah. never built again. And my job as yeah. as an advocate is to support the people who make the decision about the bridge, not the person who has changed. Although we end up going down that road when we talk about things like capital punishment because um, – you, you, yeah, we we are prone as human beings to to want vengeance because it gives an illusion of justice. It gives an illusion of 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 a cease to the harm. Um, I have a number of problems with death penalty. I'm not completely opposed. I, I fully recognize that there are probably people who that I would be fine if they were killed. There's a principle to it, and then there's the the Thank actual you. execution of it, and yeah. the actual you know not to use a pun, but the actual execution of it in our justice system is leaves so much to be desired that we probably should not be using it. Especially when it does not do <laughs> yeah. anything to benefit us. You know, as, right. as as Sid pointed out, it doesn't right. do anything to benefit us, and and yeah. wrong. Yeah. So so we're basically saying, yeah, I was gonna... hey, why should we do this thing that doesn't help us at all? And we get it wrong. All right. We probably yeah, like, I was, need to I was going to say, oh, go on. Go ahead. Go no, ahead, I was going to say, I used to be like in favor of like the death penalty before I ever really thought about it. And then I watched the movie Dead Man Walking, and that kind of put me on the fence. And then I saw the movie 12 Angry Men, and that pushed me over the other side. And now I'm completely against capital punishment. And it's not because I don't agree that there are some people who have just done such horrible things that I wouldn't care if they were executed. Yeah. I just feel like it's not really 
like some people apparently have been executed and then it's yeah. later been found out that they were innocent and I think that's terrible. Yes. And like and like I've watched debates about this. I think I even watched watched one with Christopher Hitchens when they were debating capital punishment and like some of the people who were in favor of capital punishment were saying, you know, if you let someone, if you don't execute someone who's committed a murder, that's like a violation of justice or whatever. And I just thought, not really. Like I say, it's about what happens to the victim, not the criminal. So the only real justice for a murder is unmurdering the victim. And of course, that's not possible. So I feel like in the case of a murder, there isn't really any kind of justice possible. So... Okay. It's kind of a tricky situation. Well, I mean, I'm kind of with Matt. When you you have a person who has, like, you know, a high degree of potential recidivism, you know, basically if this person gets out, they are probably going to murder more people, right? Like somebody like Ted Bundy, who when he did escape from jail, ended up killing a bunch more people, raping a bunch more, including a child. And it's just like if this this is all he could do, instead of saying I need to get to Mexico and get away, his thought was this is my last hurrah. If I'm going to murder people, I have to do it now before I get dragged in, you know, for longer. Um, that kind of person, yeah, I just think, great. yeah, get, that's a, that's a deadly threat to society and it's not going to stop. And, you know, it's not like somebody that's going to change or, you know, I mean, one day maybe we'll find a way to fix that, but we can't fix that right now. But the point is, since we don't apply the death penalty just to, you know, solidly convicted, high recidivist psychopaths. I, I did it, damn people. it, and I'm proud yeah, of it. Yeah, and I'll do it again the moment Rawr. I'm out of here. Right? That, that, it, I'm not going to say that that doesn't happen, that we don't apply it to this, but we apply it to so many other people who are not in that situation and for whom it is so questionable that it's it's kind of a moot point to me to argue about whether or not we should have it because it's like, while we have our justice system how it is, yeah. no, we shouldn't have it. So I'm not going to, you know, we can argue with you want if you want about the principle of it, but it's kind of pointless because I'm already on the side of, you know, we don't apply it fairly and, and justly. So and, and I know we kind of diverted yeah, from your, like- <laughs> I, we, we kind of diverted a little bit from your point, Sid, but on the subject of movies that tie into the death penalty. While I realize that Kevin Spacey has done terrible things, it doesn't change the fact that he also (laughs) made some good films, and there's a movie that you should consider watching called The Life of David Gale, um, which is kind of eye-opening on that. So our short answer is that, yes, the divine command theory ties into Euthyphro. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for your Euthyphro question. (laughs) The the existential angst regarding an afterlife and the death penalty, how else can we not help? Um, well, no, you, you you kind of have in a way because you're the only people who I could get like to to address. Like I, I started out with the Euphorphro dilemma. Everyone just, you know, shrugs their shoulders and has a big huff and said, oh, this has been answered time and time again. Why are we bothering? And so no one seems to want to talk about this anymore except for you know, atheists to agree that there's a problem here. So I figured yeah. I might as well just ask you it, guys. It hasn't been answered. It's it's been you know it's it's just been skirted. Well right? it's it's the difference between having a fixed set of answers that are supposedly handed down from on high thousands of years ago and are unchanging and people who are willing to consider new information and new evidence and try to grow based on what we've learned in the intervening years. That's the difference. Yeah. I did I did read one possible answer to it that said you prefer like sorry, the divine command theory is not really it doesn't make things like good or bad. It's about what's right and what's wrong. So How's in that the absence different? of a divine command. Yeah, I, exactly. That's what I was thinking. Basically it seems to suggest that 
something was bad, but once God commanded it, it didn't become good. It became the right thing to do. Oh, so the right but thing to do I'm is thinking, to be bad. <laughs> God, God basically yeah, exactly. said it's the right thing to do is be bad. Yeah. Yeah, the right, the right thing to do is the bad thing. And like the good thing is wrong. And I'm thinking, no, that, that, that doesn't seem to work either. So basically I'm, I'm just, I, I keep thinking like every time I think about this, I keep thinking like it's, it's a load of crap, but I just wanted Me to too. ask as many other people as I could just yeah. to make sure like to see if I'm right about this or if right. there's something that I'm missing. Yeah. I, I, I not only agree, um, I've talked about this before. And one of the things when we're talking about, you know, morality and, and everything, we get into divine command theory. There is not a single objection to secular morality that is in any way solved by appealing to a religion. And the number of people who would say, oh, Matt, you're a situational, you know, uh, ethicist. So you think that all the factors of the situation go into determining whether or not an action is good or bad. And my answer is yes, that's correct. And by the way, so are you. The second you say, when God says it, that makes it right. Because now the situation is God gave that instruction. You're considering a situation the same way I am. It's just that I'm not aware of God saying anything or that if God said something, it makes it right. Yeah, and I, I'm the same. Like when I think about like when people like apologists say that God is goodness itself, like He is the good, like the paradigm of good, or whatever they say. That's obviously false. And they and like, and I'm thinking like, what does it mean in this context? What does good mean? And I know that sounds like a silly question, but you'll realize the validity of the question when they struggle to answer. Like, sorry to go back to William Lane Craig, but he says God is. Like generous and kind and loving, and then I think, well, does that mean that those things are good, and that God is good because He has those attributes? Okay. That and does that it mean that if I'm good? more generous, more kind, and more loving than God, am I then better than God? Yeah, I, I'm. Just, I'm just saying. Like, does that mean that God is not the source of good? Those right. things are, it's, and yeah, God is only good yeah. because He is. Yep. But then, but then they say, oh no, no, no. Those things are only good because God is those things. So we're back to God as the like the nucleus of good. Yeah. yeah. So what does good mean? And it, it just seems to be a word. Like the word good doesn't seem to really mean anything if you put the word objective in front of it, because it's like a subjective term relatively applied, you know, sorry, a relative term subjectively applied. Yeah. Sure. Or, or worse, arbi yeah. arbitrarily applied, but yeah. Arbitrarily. Yeah, I know. Anyway. It's, it's like this, yeah. I, th I think maybe I've, yeah, I've taken up enough of your time. Thank you. Very <laughs> well, yeah. we'll, we'll, no, we'll move you, on, Sid. but there's w one thing. Uh, don't beat yourself up too much about doubts and anxiety and everything else, because from this conversation, um, Seems like you're relatively level-headed and struggling with the same things that most, most people, people I know yeah. would struggle with. So yeah, just, can, uh, sorry, can keep I just enjoying ask your life. One more thing is, sorry, I was going to ask one more thing. Is Jeff ever on your show still? You know, Jeff D. Yeah, not anymore. He has time time uh, issues. Like he's got stuff to do. <laughs> he's he's not. Yeah, there was no. There's no problem with Jeff being on or off the show. Yeah. He just um, made a decision that he had other things that he had to spend time with in his life. So yeah. I was just going to say, because I mentioned hell a couple of times, and I know as much as I like Jeff, I really do, but I know that hell is kind of his yeah. button. Anytime anyone mentions hell, he kind of goes crazy. It's and hard not to think of Jeff when, hell, when you hear hell. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Just, if you ever see him... Uh, I don't really see him around that much. I like him. I mean, we're fr I'm friends with him on Facebook or something. I'm yeah, sure. he's, and he's active on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. I've seen him post. I haven't seen him uh, in quite a while, but yeah, there's no yeah no issue with Jeff. He's, he's, he's working on other projects. Yeah, yeah. 
Same with Ashley and a number of other people. Oh, yeah. And Martin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know Ashley from like about 15 years ago, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right. All right. Yeah, so, sorry. so I don't know how I, I don't know how the phone lines here work. If you like hang up on me, can I still listen to the rest of the show? Because I'd like to listen in. You could That's probably okay. just load it on YouTube, right? Like go to the YouTube channel, yeah. and and you yeah. can have access to the chat and to the to the rest of the show. And and even if we well, could what, do will, that, will it be live? Even if we could do that. Putting you on hold, taking up a line for somebody else who's been dialing, trying to get in because all the lines are full is, is kind of unfair. <laughs> yeah, just go to the YouTube channel for oh, The okay. Atheist Experience and then just pull the show up and you can watch live. Okay, I'll do that. Thank you very much. Sure. Cheers. Thanks, Thank Dan. you. Thanks very much. Bye. All right, bye. Wow, <laughs> that was a long one. Euthyphro, uh, Existential Angst, Afterlives, Death Penalty, and Jeff D. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Welcome to The Atheist Experience. All right. Um, let's see. So let's just let's get some more calls in here. So I want to go with uh, Nick in Madison, Wisconsin, who is questioning and going through some a tough time. Uh, the church is helpful, and he can't leave if they're helping him. So Nick, you're on with Tracy and Matt. Would you like to talk some more about your problem? Absolutely. Yes. Um, thank you very much. Sure. And uh, this actually just happened today. And uh, you two are my favorite hosts, by the way. I listen to this, you know, every week, even though I'm thank a you. believer. I'm on the fence, but. You know, still believe I caught last week. Um, but um, basically, I am going through a rough time. I don't want to go into the details. Okay. okay. But um, I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> basically, I called. Uh, I haven't been to church for about seven or eight weeks. And I called my pastor last night and I said, Pastor, I'll be at service tomorrow. Um, I really need to talk to you afterwards. I need to talk to someone. I don't, I don't want to talk to friends. I want to talk to family. I need someone to talk to. He's like, absolutely. Just, you know, yeah, sure. I'll wait for you. So, so I went there and then I hadn't been there, like I said, for seven or eight weeks. And, um, everyone there, it's, it's not a big church. It's a evangelical, you know, type thing, you know, with the bands and, you know, singing and, um, but everyone's like, welcome back. Thank you. You know, uh, thanks for coming. And um, I talked to the pastor about my problem. And uh, it was a long talk. It was like 45 minutes. Um, and uh, honestly, he really helped me. He, he really good. did, just talking to him. Well, that's good. And um, the way I see it is like, you know, look, maybe everything about this God thing is wrong. Um, I believe that Alcoholics Anonymous is wrong. I mean, I, I, I think that it's not sound science. It's made up by two guys. Um, but it helps some people. Yeah, the question going is... To today, going to church today honestly helped me. Sure. It, sure. The question, though, Nick, is, is there something else that would have helped you even more or in a better way um, is there anything about the religion in particular that makes it helpful in ways that other things can't be? Because a pastor's job is not just to stand up and preach every Sunday. And it depends on, you know, in Church of Christ, they're, they're called preachers, not pastors. And, you know, mm-hmm. so it depends on what you do. But um, to serve as counsel to people within that congregation, mm-hmm. the problem is, the type of training that they get to do that counseling is quite often not 
sound, not based on science, and is all focused on the spiritual aspect of an individual and the particular religion or denomination that you're part of. I, for, mm -hmm. for me, I'd much rather talking to a preacher about my issues is to me functionally identical to talking to a friend. Um, I don't necessarily know that the advice I'm going to give get is good. Um, I, I don't know how much it'll help. I would. We talked about um, in the military there are chaplains and they serve to do counseling. Mm -hmm. I don't think there should be chaplains as paid religious representatives within the military. I think there should be uh, scientifically scientific and secular counselors there who have the best information about how to help people get through things. So, yeah, it's not surprising to me that talking to someone, anyone, preacher or not, uh, helped. It's not surprising to me that going to church and being surrounded by a particular community that was welcoming helped. That There are people sitting on the other side of this glass, some of whom are here for the first time, some of them are, who are here regularly. We've built a community here. There are people who come here because this is where, when they're having problems, there's somebody they can talk to, somebody who can relate, somebody they can interact with. All of that is is beneficial. So none of it gets to the truth of the religion, but it definitely brings up this issue of, I, I'm always glad. Like somebody tells me they went to Alcoholics Anonymous and they've stayed sober. I'm glad they are sober. I'm not convinced that Alcoholics Anonymous is doing anything other than replacing one addiction with another. I don't know that it's fundamentally helping them change as a person uh, or if it can, I mean, that's still up for it. But yeah, it, it's it's wholly unsurprising that help of some kind helped. Well, I mean, I think it just speaks to a need for resources, right? Like, it would be great if we had community counselors. Like, I had a... Um a gentleman on that I talked to on on this show a while back, Rob Poole, who also I talked to him and did an interview on Godless Bitches like a few months back because he was here in Austin, which was like a rare thing. Um, and he is a preeminent psychiatrist who has done a lot of work in underserved communities. Like he has devoted himself to underserved communities for decades of his career. Now he's, you know, kind of at the end toward of his career. He's an older gentleman. Um, but he'd probably want to smack me for saying that. He'd be like, what? <laughs> smack, smack. Uh -huh. But no, um, but the point is he also works with religious leaders in, in those communities because a lot of the patients that come in have religious beliefs and religious views and require religious support in addition to what he provides them as a psychiatrist. And so he's always, he always has like a network of community religious leaders that he can reach out to for patients that he feels would benefit from that kind of additional support due to their own subjective beliefs. Especially if it. the issue is right. tied up in religion. Yeah, it's important or, to note that and, you're going to find psychiatrists that are going to give bad advice and preachers that are going to give good advice. Mm -hmm. My only point was that I think you're more likely to get good, sound yeah, advice I guess, from I guess my point, though, is just that he's a resource, yeah. right? So he's a resource people can go to to get help. He's happy to, you know, give them other resources or consider other resources that can help them in different ways. He helps them as a psychiatrist, mm -hmm. but sometimes he might prescribe something or work with a person and he can't help them. And at least if they have a religious community, he feels like now if I if I fail them, if the medicine doesn't work, they at least have like a community support that they can go to that they believe in that can maybe help them feel better in some ways that I can't do because I can't be their buddy, right? I'm, I'm their doctor. So 
you have these different methods of help. And, and I think um, what you were basically saying is you had this problem and you needed to talk to an objective person who wasn't part of your life. You didn't feel like comfortable talking to family or friends about it. You wanted to go to somebody mm-hmm. that you weren't going to have to run into all the time or, or know, hey, this person knows this about me now. Um, and I think that it would be great if we had those resources in communities. Yeah. And right now, I think like we're, we're building atheist communities. And I think that ultimately there's a lot of people that would like to see those secular resources sort of built up. Like we have a secular therapy project that yep. um, we, we work with that uh, is there to help connect people with counselors and therapists that are secular so that they don't have to deal with like religious intrusion into their therapy if you know that's not what they're looking for. And so what you're basically saying is just having that someone to go to who is this sort of person who's divorced from other aspects of my life that I have to deal with every day was what I needed and that's what that pastor was. And what I'm saying is Many people can serve as that. It's just that this is like a more structured variety of it that's freely available to most people on most street corners because there's a church, you know, every several blocks, at least where I live. Um, and so if I needed, like if I needed that kind of help, I could run down to a church and I'm pretty sure that the pastor, not even knowing who I am, would say, come into my office. I'm happy to talk to you. I have quite a few preachers who are friends of mine and Shortly after Beth and I decided to get divorced, one of, one of them, who's a, a good friend of mine who I don't see very often, reached out right away, wanted to take me to lunch, see how I'm doing. There was no attempt by him to convert me or force God's stuff. He was being a friend and a counselor and, you know, finding out how good or bad things were in my life. Uh, I love the fact that, by and large, um, this service is available for free through churches. <laughs> yes. Um, because uh-huh. I think that's more accessible. I, I would really like to see organizations like the Atheist Community of Austin get tied in with the Secular Therapist Project where we could have a uh, a secular therapist available to people um, where they didn't necessarily have to pay for it. So now that you're, you're getting some other kinds. But I think we kind of went off on four different trails yeah, there. Honestly, get back to you. Man, you know, I mean, the, the way I see it is like, you know, this isn't a clinical or scientific thing for me. Yeah. I mean, this is... I. Oh, if you want to tell me what happened, if you want me to tell you what happened, I will. But I mean, it's it's a big deal. Well, I mean, it just sounds like uh, you had a problem, and you needed to talk to somebody that was objective. And, and I had the, a problem with with someone I care about. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's fine. And like, and, um, one um, of, well, I needed to talk to someone, and I knew I knew that my pastor would be there for me. Yep. Sure. Um, I, I I don't know if. Uh, and like I said, he was there after service. You know, sure. Forty five minutes, we just talked. Um, talk through it. And, um, I don't know anywhere else. And, and I, I don't want to go to a psychologist for this because, you know, it's not a mental thing for me. It's something that happened to someone I really care about. Yeah. But, I, I, well, I want to insert just one thing. I yeah. just want to make one caveat here. Some pastors mm-hmm. do, uh, are employed and don't get paid. But when we say this mm-hmm. guy does it quote for free, he is actually paid to kind of talk to people that yeah. come in off the street. That you know what I mean. There is there is this. No, sort I know, of but they know. I, I, no, I was sort of correcting something Matt I'm had said earlier I, I, about. No, I meant that it's the, free for the individual. It is not free that, for the individual, but the person is paid is a paid resource. Yeah, usually churches have truckloads yeah. of money and yeah. don't have to pay taxes. But anyway, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but um, like I said, you know, it honestly helped me. It really did. I sure. was. Uh, yesterday, I was, you know, 
seriously down in the dumps. Well, um, see, that's the that's the thing. What happened to my friend? That's that's the thing, and this this is this. There's a reason I'm interrupting here, Nick. It's because a minute ago you were like, "Oh, it wasn't a physical thing. It wasn't a, a psychological thing." Yes, it was. It absolutely mm-hmm. was because you, I mean, you just described how you were down in the dumps because of what happened. Counseling from a, psycho, a psychotherapist, a psychiatrist, psychologist is not about necessarily mental illness. And by the way, we're oh, not right. we're not particularly good about describing and, and defining what is or isn't mental illness. Everything that happens to you is going to be tied to how you process it, how your what emotions you're going to be taking from it, and trained counselors yeah. are, are trained specifically to address those things. It's not like if you walk in and you're feeling down in the dumps because of something that happened, you're going to walk into the psychologist and the first thing you're going to do is like, oh, here's some Ritalin and <laughs> you know go take care of yourself. Yeah. It, it really is about yeah, treating yeah. the person and who we are is fundamentally mental and emotional beings. Yeah, I want to. Ju- I'll just just want to throw this out there for people who may not be aware. If anybody else is is um, has this conception of therapy, um, I went and saw uh, two different marriage counselors while I was married. Um, that we were dealing with communication issues. It wasn't that somebody was mentally ill or that you know we were. Yep. It was just like we had communication blocks, and and it was kind of frustrating to me personally because a big part of my college degree was communication, and so I was extremely frustrated because I just did. I'm like, how is it that I can't figure out how to get around this block? Um, mm-hmm. but, but the whole point was we just needed a, and somebody to intervene, like an intermediary to get in there and help facilitate these conversations. We, we'd fallen where, into patterns that yes, weren't going weren't to fix it, wasn't it on the getting ship. anywhere and yeah. it, they kept coming up and it was like, look, this can't just keep going again and again and again. Like we've got to stop this broken record and, and we're not successfully doing that between the two of us. So we need a third party who knows how to do that, that can step in and tell us what it is we're not hearing from each other. But anyway, I want to make sure you get to your question, so I'll stop. I don't want to take too much of your time and everything because I know you have other callers. But um, um, honestly, all I'm saying is that, you know, what happened today honestly helped me. Sure. You know, so, and um, I understand what you're saying where there's, you know, uh, psychologists and everything who can help you out. Um, This wasn't, like I said, this this was, what I was upset about was what happened to someone else. Yeah. Um. But um, I see what you're saying, um, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I'm still on the fence. Like I said, I absolutely accept evolution and all that stuff and everything. I'm not a, you know, 6,000-year flat earther or anything. But um, what happened today honestly helped me. Sure. So. Sure. And and, and without to, without yeah. sounding incredibly arrogant, I bet if after church you'd have picked up the phone and called me and we talked for 45 minutes, I'm optimistic that that would have helped you too. That could have as well, yeah. I, I don't have your number, though, and I'm sure you won't give it to me, so. Actually, Not Matt, while we're live. Yeah, Matt gives it out quite liberally <laughs> yeah. um, in, in my in my. There, there's a sound view. clip for somebody's ringtone. I was joking, Matt. Come yeah, on. you're good. Matt gives it out quite liberally. Well, guys, I'll let you go, but thanks for listening to me. I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, Nick. And by the way, uh, I'm glad, irrespective of where somebody finds help, I'm glad that somebody's seeking help and getting help. Yeah. Um, It's like, the you know, like I was saying with AA, if that's what's keeping you sober, do it. For the caller who says that if they didn't believe in God, they'd be running around murdering and raping people, I want them to keep their ass in church. (laughs) Uh, it's, it's It's independent of whether or not I think there's anything real going on behind the scenes. Okay. Whatever helps you, helps you. That's yep. It does. All right. Well, thank you, Nick. We're going to go ahead and move on. We'll get to, um, I wanted to get to Brojo. 
Okay. Let's go ahead and just hit that one. So we've got Brojo in Arkansas, and you're on with Matt and Tracy. You wanted to talk about um, whether or not atheism is rationally justified. Hey, Tracy and Matt. Uh, Tracy, I believe we spoke. Uh, yeah, I think so, too. The name looked familiar. So what's on your mind? Yep. Well, actually, so uh, being on hold, I, I came up with a different question. It's probably a little controversial. Well, that's cheating. Uh, but I wanted to know. Okay, go ahead. Go for it. Well, it's, just, it's on the same line. Um, I was just wondering because uh, I, I heard um, you guys had something to do with homosexuality, and I was thinking, how is homosexuality rationally justified? I mean, what's the argument that says homosexuality is a moral behavior? Well, what's um, the argument that says it isn't? The burden of proof well, is... We, we begin, we begin, the smart thing to do with it is to grant every liberty and freedom and then begin limiting re, re, freedoms and liberties for good reasons. So what's the problem with two people of the same gender uh, having a romantic and sexual and or sexual relationship? Oh, well, uh, okay. So first of all, I would say there, there are a couple different problems with that. First of all, uh, often in those kind of relationships, there's a high spread of AIDS going on. So it's actually that's detrimental not, to that society a lot. You know, that's true. That's a fact. Um, uh, another so, problem so, so I'm going to pause you. I'm, I'm going to pause you um, because first of all, uh, while AIDS isn't cured, uh, we, we have great medications that essentially uh, diminish the effects and make people so that they can live with it, et cetera. But the fact that a particular, like you could be in a homosexual relationship and never actually engage in any sort of behavior that even slightly increases your risk of getting AIDS. Right, but also it's, it's not a homosexual illness, right? Correct. There, there are huge swaths of, of the globe where... Um, Heterosexual women are the primary, uh, you know, patients in in HIV. But functionally, the the question was, why is it wrong? The fact that you right, but all sex would be wrong. If, yeah. If, so, so if we were saying STIs, there's a risk of of STIs, and there's there's some that aren't going to happen in lesbian relationships very likely. There's some that aren't going to happen in in male male relationships. But none of that gets to why it's wrong. The fact that something may not, it may increase a risk for something. I mean, you might as well be using that to say that skydiving is wrong. Or driving. Because, you know, there's a chance that parachute doesn't open. Or driving. Driving is wrong. Because if you don't ever right. drive, well, this, this, you're not, not going to, you know, cause a car accident. Right. This is why I was going to give a, a bunch of different reasons. Definitely. Okay, then start with one that's not crap. Obviously. Well, no, that's not a crap. Reason. It is yes, crap. It is. it is absolutely crap. If, if you crap. understand what Matt just said, then you understand why that's crap. It, it is functionally well, crap because it has nothing to do with the moral component. Right. Yeah. So right. Uh, another reason uh, that there's a there's a problem with that, and that's why I said homosexual a first behavior. Reason kind there's of, a problem. Right. So, so, one, there's detrimental effects to society. Another thing is... It whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, whoa. But those are detrimental effects that all sexuality would be subject to. Yeah, and by the way, you didn't <laughs> list any. You just asserted that there are detrimental effects to society. Are there also positive effects to society? Yes, there are. Yeah, so I'm not going to wait for you to answer that because it's obvious there are. <laughs> so now come up with come up with a reason that it's wrong that isn't crap. Right. Yeah, so and a, and a couple other reasons are more on the theological side, which I don't give a shit about the theological side. Yeah, really. That, that, which I which I understand that, but then uh, why because those are crap is, too. Well, so do right. you do you do you value Broho Broho completely subjective? All right. Do you value personal freedom and liberty and the right for people to do? Because you, first of all, you don't choose who you fall in love with. 
you don't choose who you want to interact. You, you choose what you do about it, but you know, it's not like I chose to fall in love yeah. with Beth or whoever. And I really don't know that there's a, in most cases, a rational component to sex with anybody. It's mostly visceral and yeah. instinctive. And and so the question here then becomes: We definitely we're gonna we're gonna say we value individual freedom and autonomy, the ability to live your life, the ability to not you know be punished or ha have the choices that you make um, diminished if they don't impact the lives of others. Um, and so pointing out that there's something that you can view as wrong with homosexuality is irrelevant until you point out the one that is the justification for overriding individuals' freedoms. Right. Well, I, I don't think it's really a good argument to suggest just because you don't personally care about religion, uh, therefore it doesn't matter. I mean, I care about it. I mean, does that assert that my Well, no, no, wait a minute. Let me see if I, I might be able to help. Wait, really I'm, bad argument. Okay, wait, I might be able to help facilitate this. Here's no, the thing. Wait, 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 wait. Let me just try this. He just said it was a bad argument, and I'm responding to his <laughs> But I just want to make ahead. sure he understands. He doesn't. If the religious reason is a good reason, then you don't need to use religion because you'll be able to demonstrate it's a good reason even without the religion, right? So if the, if the, if the religion has a good reason for putting it forward, then you should be able to just point to the good reason and you don't really need to go to religion for it. Well, I think there's, okay, so first off, there's a few problems with that. First off, it assumes that humans are capable of reason apart from the Christian God, that people aren't surprised. It doesn't assume humans are capable of reason. No, no. Humans are in fact capable of reason most of us. Uh, okay. Okay, so so, th so there's a problem. It assumes people are capable of reason. I also said that it I was, just said that's not a fucking uh, problem. It's not an assumption. It's a demonstration. Not only are we capable of reasoning, we are able to define and describe reasoning. We are able to describe how and why we know when we come across fallacious reasoning. We are able to describe how we know when our emotions and biases are affecting things. For you to suggest that we are just presupposing that humans can reasoning, that humans can reason is flatly fucking absurd. So don't just assert it again. If I offer a rebuttal, don't just restate the same thing. You need to then rehabilitate your argument or drop it. Yeah, yeah. So um, <clears throat> there was the fall of man, I believe, that happened uh, thousands of years ago. I don't believe man that the fall of man is a real thing or that it happened a thousand well, years ago. Just because you don't believe that, I mean, that doesn't mean that it's not true. Correct. I mean, and just because you do right. believe it, and just because you do believe it, I, does I not agree, mean, oh my God, interrupt me one more fucking no, time, I, I dare you. Okay, he's on hold. <laughs> just because you do believe it doesn't mean it's true. So if you're just calling into the show to assert things that you believe yeah. and offer no argument for it, I'm not interested. Okay. Make a case. Yeah, and I, I have to say that if this is just going to be preaching, just tell us now, and we'll move on to the next call. Yeah. Okay. You're you're off hold. No. Well, I I, I didn't plan on preaching. I just planned saying on, that the starting with the fall of man and then just asserting it and saying this is part of your argument is preaching. Especially when you well, admit that you understand that Matt's not just going to accept it as. So you don't like correct. homosexuals and you don't like sound arguments. Go ahead. What's next? Okay, well, first off, I never say I didn't like homosexuals, so that's a straw man. Uh, what I'm simply coming on to do is to show that I don't believe that homosexuality it has a rational justification. I think I, if we're to justify homosexuality... I, I addressed I that. I addressed that. I addressed... Like that. What the fuck so did the you just say? That, that claims that it... That what the he's fuck? He's on hold. <laughs> okay, now you're on hold, so even if you're still talking, other people will hear this. First of all, 
you're saying that homosexuality doesn't have a rational justification. And I addressed this point at the outset, that we don't need a rational justification to permit people to engage in activities. We need rational justifications to limit freedoms, not to have freedoms. Otherwise, we would have a list of the, here are the five things that everyone is allowed to do, and that's it. Well, Instead, we have maximal freedom, and we begin limiting right. at, for good reasons as it impacts others. Most romantic relationships, though, do not have a rational justification. Usually, it's yes. just because you you like somebody, you felt in love with them, and then you you Correct. proceed. Yeah. On on that ground, uh, that that argument is also crap because first of all, as Tracy pointed out, they don't necessarily have a rational justification. But the point that I made earlier was that you need a rational justification to limit them or to say that something's wrong. But I would like for you to tell me how the fuck you started with. I didn't ever say I didn't like homosexuals and had a bad string of arguments and then uttered the word pedophilia. Go. Okay, you're off hold. Well, uh, I, so I, I believe that if one rationally justifies the act of homosexuality with some of the arguments like they're born this way or they didn't have a choice in that in the matter. It wouldn't I matter if they did. arguments can be applied to pedophilia. You don't have to justify No, 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 no. You are completely fucking wrong. Pedophilia, by the way, is a sexual preference. It doesn't mean that somebody's actually going to act on it. And so we're not going to disparage pedophiles who don't actually engage in it. They have no more choice about what they're attracted to than the person who's attracted to a fence post, the person who's attracted to me, or the person who is foolishly attracted to you. So that attraction thing is not an issue. What is a problem is pederasty and child rape. And that is actually a problem because there is not informed, enthusiastic consent of two responsible adults. And that is not in any way remotely comparable to what happens when two adults of the same gender interact and you should be ashamed of yourself for even trying to string those two things together. And it's also not restricted to gay people. <laughs> Let's just be clear. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. Um, right, yeah. And I, and I didn't say gay, gay people were pedophilia. I said the justification of the act of homosexuality, the same arguments can be applied to pedophilia. And you're wrong. There, the, you don't the have same to justify homosexuality. The same arguments cannot be applied. Well, I've been interrupted about over five times. You know, you know how many times you're going to get interrupted involved. here in a minute? You're going to get interrupted no more times because we're going to hang up. I, you made the case that the same arguments could be used to justify pedophilia as there are for homosexuality. And I corrected you that pedophilia is not the issue that you're talking about and that the arguments that you're talking about don't apply to both of them. So either acknowledge that or rehabilitate your argument. Yeah, basically what Matt objected to was he was saying that you're, you're talking about con conformed, I mean, sorry, informed consent between adults versus non-informed consent from two adults when you're dealing with children. And so it's not the same justifications. And I would say that you don't have to justify homosexuality. I don't even know why what it means to justify You don't, you don't to have to justify, justify your attraction to anyone right. or anything. That's not a thing that is right. justified. Right, right. So the pedophile's desires are completely fine as long as they don't act on it. Correct. Correct. Is that your argument? Correct. Correct. That's not an argument. It's a fact. Oh, it's so, a so, so then, so, so then um, what would be wrong with someone acting on a desire that's completely neutral? Why, why would it suddenly become it, wrong? Nothing. <laughs> if it was neutral. No, if, if it was no, no, acting on a desire that's completely neutral, there's no, nothing wait, wrong with it. He's Whoa. saying that this is a pedophilia. Would, he's, he's interpreting pedophilia as a neutral desire because you're saying there's nothing wrong with the desire. So what's wrong with acting on it? Because desire and action are different. Right. I might desire to punch you in the face, but acting on it would be the actual problem. Right. You can desire all kinds of things, but if you're not doing them, then you're not creating issues for other people. And, and I'm difference. a nonviolent person, so I wouldn't yeah, do that I anyway. That's a meaningless dis I think it's a meaningless distinction. Then what you're an idiot. It's not a meaningless desire. distinction. What you're, but what you're simply what you're simply wanting to rob a bank and, and 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 robbing a bank are, are two, two different, different things. things. 
Yeah, absolutely. We don't arrest people so and put them in the, prison uh, for Hunter, wanting to do a thing. Are you saying that it's okay to desire to want to rob a bank? That's yes, okay sir. It's, yes, okay, sir. It's okay to want wow. to do anything. Yes, it's See, not it's okay to do anything. Oh, what about being a, what about a mass murderer? Is that an okay desire to have? It's okay to have that desire. <laughs> right, it's as long wrong as you're not acting on it. As a matter it. of fact, the person who has that desire and never acts on it is engaging in a morally superior position yeah. because they recognize that the action is distinct and different and has consequences. Yeah, they have a moral filter. Superiority on, it, on, a, on, a, on naturalism. Can you explain that to me? Sorry, what was the question? Moral superiority on naturalism. How is something better than another position? Can you explain that to me? So our actions have consequences, and it is the actions that matter. Now, if there are, so oh my God, did you? Are you want me to answer your question or not? Go ahead and answer him. Let's. It's okay. Go ahead. So, <laughs> someone has a desire but never acts on it. That is morally superior to the person who has a desire to do something harmful and then acts on it, because. It's the actions that have consequences for ourselves and for others. My desire, what goes on in my head, first of all, is nobody's business. Nobody can know unless I state it. Nobody can make an assessment of me. I could, sit, I could be sitting here every day on the show with really horrific desires that I never act on. I'm not, but you don't have any way to know that. You don't have any right to know it. And what you're doing is trying to make thoughts a crime. But thoughts aren't necessarily a crime. You have to actually make that well, case. Hang on. Well, I'm not talking about the legal content of the thoughts. What I'm simply saying is I know the fact that you yourself fuck. delineate between moral superiority and, and you say one thought is better than another, you're simply saying is there's something wrong with this thought, uh, but they're not acting on it, so we're okay with that. He didn't say that there's mean there's the, something the wrong only with thing that's thought. wrong with the thought that we that we can establish right away is that if one were to act on it, that would be detrimental. That would be against well-being. But people don't choose their thoughts. You don't have any control over whether or not you believe something or are attracted to someone or anybody else. You can, in fact, influence it, and other people can influence it as well. But what you're trying to do is make, along along the lines of theology, make thoughts a crime make thoughts a sin, make thoughts immoral. And what I'm saying is that it is the actions and the consequences of those actions that make up determine, that, that determine morality. And that is entirely rooted in naturalism. We are physical beings in a physical universe. The physical laws of the universe dictate what the consequences of our actions are. Otherwise, if I stabbed you in the neck with a hatchet and we we're in a universe that could have willy-nilly things, maybe that would uh, actually be a wonderful, pleasant experience for you that would make you immune to cancer and live forever in a universe that doesn't have these naturalistic laws. But we live in the universe that does, and so that's what we use to assess the consequences of our action. The, so, superiority, uh, the superiority of secular morality is that it has the entirety the goal is entirely about getting better at getting better and understanding and building on that understanding. Religious moral systems have pronouncements about what is, and that's why you're convinced that somebody who has an evil thought is somehow a bad person, even if they don't act on it, and you are wrong. So, Dillahunty, are you saying that societal consequences no. then determines whether or not something is correct or the right No, the physical— so society doesn't act on it, then it's okay. No, that's not what he was trying that's to That's not even in the fucking ballpark of what I was talking about.
Okay, so so what was the point of bringing up, uh, or as much as we can see, uh, there seem to be consequences to certain actions. Because, right? because well, we... How, how does that affect the moral argument? So what's people be, react negatively to it? He's talking about real-world consequences, not um, artificially imposed social consequences. You, you, you compare the consequences of actions with respect to a goal. In this case, the goal being well-being. Oh, like, for example, homosexuality, engaging in the practice of spreading aid, which you said was... Hang up totally on this piece fine. of shit, please. Uh, I have no objection to that. Thank <laughs> you. For those who are saying Matt is running the show from the co-host chair, I'm happy to make that hang up. It, it's, it's also why I said <laughs> this please. This did not violate my <laughs> consent it, in it, any way. It's, it's why I said please, and if Tracy had wanted to continue <laughs> it, I, I would have sat here and played chess on my phone or something. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't uh, blame you for that one. That's... So the thing is, let's say that I'm attracted to someone. You don't know what their gender is. What are you looking at me for? Uh, <laughs> we've done this a lot. Yeah, okay. uh, I'm attracted to someone. What's wrong with that? And what his point was, or what he was, he, oh, he doesn't, I'm sorry, he doesn't dislike homosexuals. He just thinks that they're, they don't have a rational justification and that they're all about spreading the AIDS. Yeah, they're all AIDS spreading machines you, in you, his head. You are a monumentally bigoted and closed-minded <laughs> individual. Um, and yeah, I, I feel stupider <laughs> like, for having had a conversation with you. That argument shuts down all sexuality. Yeah. Like, it's like, you know, as, as you're, if, you're as always if, at risk when you have sex. As if heteronormative relationships are the good ones. Well, hey, I mean, you're divorced, if I'm divorced. If we're using HIV as the metric, then lesbian relationships would be like the pinnacle. Ooh, yeah. No, I mean they would. Uh, no, abstinence. <laughs> right? Abstinence would be asexuals. Right. Abstinence would be the pinnacle. That's true. Because that is a relationship that is based and I have plenty of friends who are asexual. I've even right, dated someone who's asexual. Um, those relationships are based on other things about the human being than whether or not there's a penis getting off or a vagina getting off, which by the way, those things don't get off. It's your brain that that gets <laughs> off. Your brain is what experiences right. an orgasm. Your brain is what is attracts you to somebody else. And it's all in an asexual relationship, it's about actually valuing that other person as a person. And so if you want to go down that route, then asexual relationships must be the morally superior ones. I don't think that's the case. I think that there are good relationships and bad relationships in every one of the categories. And this guy just picked out something that he doesn't like but doesn't want to admit he doesn't like to go after. Yeah. There, there's just so much wrong. So it's like, you know, and first of all, I, I take huge issue with the idea that, that romantic attachment is, is at all rational. Yes. <laughs> it's, I mean, I've been in relationships where we had a romantic connection, where we had an intimate connection, but the foundation of the relationship wasn't the romantic and intimate thing. That, that came afterwards. Yeah. It's like, it I does this... for most people. And yeah. I mean, even if you limit the category of people, let's say that it's like, well, I want somebody who wants to live where I want to live. And I want, you know, because you're thinking, let's say that you have a rational justification for the partner that you would choose. You're still choosing from among those folks the ones that attract you most, right? Like yeah. it's you don't just go in and say, "Well, just let me, you know, cover my eyes and just pick one." Isn't it's it like, convenient that your soulmate worked at the same company that you did yeah, in your town? Yeah, you know, it's this is yeah. So anyway, we but, have other callers on, yeah, and let's, let's, let's get to some people that have been waiting the longest. Um, some of these people have been here for, from the beginning of the show. So let's check with. Ronan in Vermont, who talked to a Christian about proof of God, and the person mentioned biblical prophecy. And so you're on with Matt and Tracy. What do you got? Hi, it's really awesome to be on and talking to you guys. Well, it's wow, awesome to have really you. Cool. 
Thank you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was uh, downtown getting coffee today, and as I left and started heading home, these three people on the street stopped me, and one of them was like, hey, uh, do you have a minute to talk? I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. Like, uh, I just want to first off ask if you're like believer or non-believer, whatever. So I told them I'm an atheist. So we um, basically does like a Bible study and he wants to prove that the Bible is true. And so we went to a coffee shop and talked about it. Mm -hmm. And um, so we brought up some really weird things. Like I was trying to get him to get him away from being like super preaching the gospel, which I don't think you wanted to do, but it was kind of like definitely going there. I don't need that. Um, and he brought up some like stuff. He brought up a lot of stuff about like there are prophecies in the Bible that get fulfilled Sure. And that's how I know, and that's why I believe. Sure, okay. It's kind of like... I, I often say that wondering. biblical prophecy is like the weakest of apologetics um, oh, Yeah, no, that's what I was thinking. Because yeah. it was like, how do you get to this? And he's like, I believe in the Bible because the Bible yeah. is true, and the Bible says it's true. And I'm like, right, but how do you know that the Bible is... True. Right. And, and he's saying because it makes these weird predictions and only, you know, I guess only a God yeah. would know or something. So here's the here's the first problem. The first problem is even if it did make weird predictions that, that happened that were like, you know, incredibly impressive, you still wouldn't know how the how the mechanism worked until you could demonstrate that. Right. So yeah, exactly. even if you were you doing like... it, the idea that this is a message from a God has not been demonstrated through that. It's, you know, clearly yeah. there's something if going that on, happens, but it's what? Not... But here's the problem. If that happens. When they lay a prophecy on you, the, the best thing to do, because there are so many different things that people call prophecy, so the best thing to do is to say, lay your best prophecy, your most impressive prophecy on me. Let them lay oh, their— you laid a few on, I'll— yeah. You could just talk about those. You don't even need to talk about them. Go to Google them, right? Like, go to Wikipedia and look up those Bible I books. Google them and, like— Yeah, if, I, I like a quick Google search was like a lot of like answers in Genesis and like JW. Right. So if you go if you go to Mormon. Wikipedia and you look up that book of the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. It'll have an explanation of the book, of its history, of you know, and almost I have I, first of all, if the prophecy is clear, right? So let's say that there and there are mm-hmm. some that seem pretty clear, right? Some of them are very uh, yeah. vague and interpretive, but some are very clear. And when you look at the ones that are most clear, in my experience, when you go to Wikipedia and you just look at the the history and the background of the text, what you'll find is that the text that is the most impressive has been altered at a later date after the events. And all oh, you have geez. to so you, I would say the the best response for you would be to go to the Wikipedia and just look up that Bible book. And then look up the, just sort of read up on the history of that book. When was it written? When was, you know, when were the alterations made? How many authors did it have? You know, which books did he pull? Or which book did he? That's a really good point. Um, he did one about Book of Job. He did one. Okay, Job um, is, okay, Job is really weird that he picked that because Job is like a, yeah, Job Job is like a, um, well, he, it wasn't quite prophecy there. He was talking about, um, like, the book of Job proves the water cycle. 
And then he shows Whoa. me the quote, and it's like... <laughs> Does, is he saying oh, that yeah, it describes, it like, evaporation and condensation? I mean... So what Job says in the book precipitation. is, like, God draws the water up from the streams and the rivers, and then the water pours forth from the clouds as rain. Which it's is something like, that we all understand. That's something you can <laughs> right? observe, and it... Yeah. I was like, no, that's not... I was trying to be really patient, but I'm like... That is something that a child can observe. Yeah, it's like saying it explains, um, you know, the, the whole the, concept of biological conception by saying that if you put a male goat in a stock pen full of females, yeah. a lot of them end up pregnant. How could the Bible know this? Right? You get a, you get baby yeah. goats. It's yeah. Like, do you think that this is really useful? He went into, I don't know what book it was from, but he mentioned that the Bible prophesized. Um, King Cyrus and the fall of Babylon. Yeah, let me let's. Find and I don't that. know anything about Babylon. <laughs> yeah, did he give you a book? But it was like, I don't know which book it was, but it was something. It was like it mentioned Cyrus by name, therefore Bible true, therefore God. Sure, that's what he's going to try to say, but it doesn't get you to God. Yeah. It gets you, even if it were no, true, it, it gets you to a weird prophecy. But let's see, the fall of Babylon um, is and like and now that you've made that point, the fact that it mentions Cyrus by name. Yeah. If Cyrus was a historical figure, that was probably inserted after the fact. If you Cyrus look, if you can find the book, and which I'm trying to help you out with here right now, um, yeah, book well, of Isaiah and the book of Daniel him. both mention it. I'm going to say I'd probably Isaiah go with Isaiah. With Ezra too. Yeah. With, so, with Ezra with Nebuchadnezzar because he mentioned Nebuchadnezzar too. So getting back to the water cycle, because I just checked, um, the first scientific description of the water cycle is was around 1500 CE, but there's an acknowledgement yeah. that Hebrew scholars had some understanding of the water cycle back when... Yeah, but a you know, child has understanding a, of the water no, cycle. No, 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 don't do that. A child now oh. has an understanding of water cycle mm, true. because they're raised in a society that has that understanding. And, and so we inadvertently make inferences from what people around us appear to know and, and everything else, even before we're strictly thought. At some point, mm-hmm. people did not understand the water cycle. And the observation that led to that was that the rivers flow down to the sea, and yet the sea never seems to get any more full. And so the mm-hmm. natural conclusion is then that water must go somewhere. Um, and because water also falls from clouds, then the natural inference is that, well, somehow or another, the water gets up to the clouds. The thing that the Hebrew Bible and Job gets wrong is that uh, there's no evidence that God maketh the drops to go up to the clouds. Uh, the evidence is <laughs> yeah, that this is, this is what happens, and we may not know why. Right. And then, of course, we learn about evaporation by right. uh, having a kiddie pool in the backyard right. that we have well, to Well, you can see evaporation even on, like, you, something, you spill a drink and it on dries up. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it went away. Right. There, I that's mentioned that to him. I mentioned that to him. I was like, well, it doesn't even say the sun in, in that verse. It says God. And if one person says God made the dry water dry up and, and another says that the sun made the water dry up, then who's right? Oh, the, God is, the sun is God. It's, That's, oh, it, but it doesn't matter. God made the sun and, and it's the sun's job. It was God's intent to have a water cycle. That's the thing. When people think they find something amazing, scientific within a book, um, they're also cherry picking because, you know, bats, oh, yeah. aren't, bats yeah. aren't birds and, you know, 
go through all the <laughs> list of other things. The you know you're not going to genetically change sheep by smacking them with reeds uh, in order to create spotted sheep and other stuff like that. Uh, so they're throwing out all the things that got wrong and then looking at something got right. Nobody does this more often than Muslims with regard to the Quran, talking about things like, mm-hmm. um, oh, well, it, it, it describes a fetus as looking like chewed gum uh, kind of thing. Uh, yeah. And you know why that happened? Because people had miscarriages and because people lived on farms where animals were constantly getting pregnant and, and having miscarriages or somebody cracked open an egg and it had a fetus in it of various types. This knowledge has been around, just not formulated and put together into a scientific theory where we're supporting support with a bunch of evidence. But it's only city folk who seem to think that nobody who was in a, you know, 8th century or B.C. farm uh, could have possibly understood anything about a fetus. I mean, that's just bizarre. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. They didn't understand sure genetics. You understand if you birth animals for a living. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's modern city folk who are like, wow, it's amazing these people understood that. No, it's, it's shocking that you hmm. didn't. <laughs> so what, I, what I'm getting is um, go to Wikipedia and find out when certain information was or names were edited into... No, nah, it doesn't the Bible matter. That so we get. Let's go. To, let's go to any attempt for an actual piece of prophecy. Uh, I'm going to tell you something. In my show, and I'll be doing this. Uh, by the way, anybody who's interested in taking a cruise to uh, Havana, Cuba, and uh, the Bahamas with me giving my magic and skepticism show slash lecture, <laughs> um, you can just Google Free Thought Cruise, uh, and you will find it. I don't have the actual links here. I know we're 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 doing well, but. If you want to get in before the sales close, the cruise is the weekend of March 22nd, I believe. But just Google Free Thought Cruise. Look for the one with the picture of me, and you'll you'll find the right cruise. In the show, and hopefully the people who come to the show won't go, oh, I knew this was going to happen. Um, I have a box, cardboard box, out on a table before the show. And there's an instruction for people before the show to come up and write down their favorite book title or movie title or something like that and drop it in the box. The box is down there at the audience. Later on in the show, I'll bring Alex out on stage. A member of the audience will pick up the box, open the box themselves, pull out one of those pieces of paper, read what it says, and then Alex will read their mind and tell them what's on that piece of paper. Now, that's a fucking miracle. Because... At no point do we go near the box. There's no opportunity for any sort of skullduggery or anything else. The box is there in the audience. Somebody opens it, looks inside, pulls out the slip, and she can read their mind. Now, are we going to get it right every time? I'm not going to tell you. Uh, But if we get it right, you have no explanation for it. And so when we read something that somebody wrote down, some unknown person countless centuries ago, they wrote something down, and it appears that maybe with the correct interpretation— it can almost look like they were predicting the future. Even if we were convinced that they nailed it word for word exactly, we don't know how they were able to do that. Did they get lucky? Was it a magic trick? Was it something that was inevitably going to happen? Was it something that was likely going to happen? Is it prophecy when I order a steak medium rare and I get a medium rare steak? Is that that guy fulfilling prophecy? Um, if, are there people actively working to make this thing happen? You know, the, oh, it prophesies the state of Israel. Yes. And there were people actively working to make that prophecy come true. Uh, I've talked about this before where, you know, if I prophesied that in the future kids were going to be named Matt is awesome or whatever it was I picked, uh, somebody out there is going to do that and don't. 
by the way. That's a terrible name for a kid. <laughs> you sure? Maybe I'll name my dog that. And we name your dog. Call that. it a stretch. That's perfect. <laughs> you know, I don't think the dog's going to get upset about what you call it as long as you rub its belly and let it try to stick its <laughs> tongue in your mouth, which is what all dogs want to do. In, in order for prophecy to be okay. useful at all, it needs to be specific. It needs to be answerable by only a single set of circumstances, not open to interpretation at all. And even if we, mm -hmm. and, and there's several other criteria, even if we got through all of those, that doesn't tell us why we have a successfully fulfilled prophecy. Was it God? Was it, it aliens? It bring us to God. Yeah. Was it God? Was it aliens? Was it a time machine? Was it a prediction? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, for example, there's a Super Bowl tonight, right? And if I say, oh my God, the Patriots are just going to take this thing. And that is not And I say the other team is going to win. Right. But I mean, one of us is going to be right. You know? Right. And so then you have to kind of look at it. Like, for example, Jesus predicting that the temple was going to be destroyed, you know, that wouldn't have been, like, particularly hard to foresee as things were getting worse between the Jews and Rome, and Rome had all the power, right? By the, the way, idea that this city is going to get trampled was, you know, something that somebody probably could have just said, I, this, is a, this is a common. Anybody who's impressed by prophecy should go watch Darren Brown's special, The System. Okay. Because... It's a really good example of you don't have enough information to reach a conclusion, and yet, yeah, I'll describe it briefly. They, it picks a person out and starts giving them uh, which dogs are going to win the race at the dog track. And, of course, and they do this, by the way, this is a scam that's often done with um, uh, stock picks. So somebody will say, hey, this stock's going to go through, go, go do a big jump tomorrow. And they'll send you the first couple tips for free. And then you get to go check them. And you say, wow, they got the first one right and the second one right. So I'll take a risk on the third one with maybe just a little bit of money. And you get that right. And then you get a fourth one right. Then you get a fifth one right. And then you get a sixth one right. And at that point, you, based on all the information you have, are convinced that this person is able to tell you what's going to happen with, so far, 100% reliability. And you are willing to wager more and more money, either at the dog track or on stocks. And the truth is... The way that, and this is an old scam, so I'm not ruining Darren's thing so much. If I send out 500 predictions, and then I take the half that got those first ones right, now I have 250 where I've got one, give them a, a new set of predictions, and then half of that group is going to ha now have two right, then half of that group's going to have three right, then half that group's going to have four right, and then you get down to the one person who has had five or six in a row. You can do it, and I've done this, or wanted to do this, but in a, in a large show, have everybody stand up and flip a coin. You get an audience of a thousand people, everybody flips a coin. Have everybody who flipped tails sit down. Then have those, the remaining standing people flip again. And then have everybody who, who flipped tails sit down. And you'll keep going, and eventually there'll be one person standing in the middle of the room that has flipped heads six, seven, eight, nine, ten times in a row. And because you're in this audience and everybody knows what's going on, it doesn't have the same impact as if you were sitting at home and flipped that coin and it landed seven, eight, nine times in a row heads. That's the way you teach right. the lesson. That's the way you expose the fact that when you're working with a limited set of information, you are more likely to reach an incorrect conclusion. Magic for the win. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would advise you to go look at Book of Isaiah in Wikipedia and especially the summary and the authorship section, um, which talk okay. extensively about the, the, the edits. 
to the book and the different periods in which different parts of it were written and the reasons for for the understanding that there was different authors involved. And I mean, these books are not, they're just not what they're cracked up to be. It's not like some guy wrote it and it's all cut and dry. And this, he wrote it a hundred years before the event and then the event happened. And it was really amazing. Yeah. I mean, basically you're looking at books that other people have inserted stuff into and parts of it are older than other parts. And we're putting these fragments together in this one text that we found has this section that wasn't in an older section. And so, I mean, the, the prophecy is not great. So there's all kinds of things that can be wrong with it. Number one, you have the problem of retrofitting prophecy. So somebody prophesies a thing, and then later someone knows that was prophesied, and they make it come true, right? Like the rise of Israel. When when you support that as a Christian and you believe that that's prophecy, you're yeah. literally working to make a prophecy come true, right? Like you're like forcing that prophecy. So you're you're just making it happen and, and saying it was a prophecy. And then later, yeah, absolutely, yeah. But then you have other situations, like I said, where you might see something coming, like in the next ten years or so, that it's like getting worse and things. You know, like global warming is not a prophecy, right? It's yeah. it's a yeah. prediction based on trends and people saying if we don't change some things, this is what we predict is going to happen. And if that happens, it's not a prophecy, right? It's it's like somebody looking yeah. at the data and the information and saying this is what it looks like to me will happen. Now, could we all step up and? change things and we turn we turn it around sure you know but if we don't and it happens that's not prophetic by the way anytime any mm-hmm. christian comes at me with a claim of prophecy and they don't start with prophecies about jesus i know that on some level they already understand what the problem is because that that would be the only prophecies that matter and yet they have to deal with well, this you started with they have to deal with this funny little problem that hey here's all these prophecies that jesus fulfilled and yet all those prophecies are Jewish prophecies and the Jews don't think Jesus fulfilled them. Right. Yeah, exactly. After the weird thing with Job, you started with the whole um, Jesus fulfilling a prophecy in the Old Testament of the blind will see and the lame will walk and blah, blah, blah. And it's like... I did that too. (laughs) I did that too. Yeah, the inference, the thing to go with is not, oh, it says Jesus did this, therefore Jesus did this and fulfilled the prophecy. It's the people writing the Bible. It's in the book of Eric. Apparently Jesus. The book book of Eric over there actually has a passage that that talks about when I healed the blind and the deaf and the, yeah, I did all that. And it's like, (laughs) and it's like the person, the people who wrote the New Testament obviously read the Old Testament and just went back into and found some stuff to pull and make look amazing. And it's, right, because like what Matt is saying, really if you if apart. you go back to if you go back and look at how Jewish scholars interpret the books, it has nothing to do with with any kind of like Jesus as Messiah. Jesus does not fit the messianic. Yeah, yeah. They, um, they were expecting a warrior king. Yeah. So, and the the yeah. the Christians just say, oh, they just they were wrong. <laughs> the the yeah, people be, that wrote the books were wrong. So, um, all right, probably look into the. G- Jewish interpretation, yeah. Oh, yeah, you really so want to look at that because that'll that'll make <laughs> your head spin when it comes to. And then, the and then when Christians you get done with that, Jews, you can go for, to the Jews for Jesus because yeah. not all Jews yeah. agree. There's a really good um, Lewis Black skit on people, you know, Christians telling the Jews what their holy books mean. Yes, <laughs> it's really good, and he he says we should, call, one, it, our book yeah. we should call it Christian explaining. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically <laughs> them telling the Jews like, no, 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 you don't understand your own. Because you know, that's what Mormons text. are doing. 
The more the Mormons, well, yeah, I, I saw the, the latter day revelation of Jesus that. Christ. They're basically telling Christians that they didn't understand their yeah, own. Yeah, you, you, you don't get it either. Yeah, Mister Atheist. Nobody is gets about it. That, that the Mormons disproved everything for him. Yep, and then Scientologists <laughs> threw it all away. <laughs> <sighs> My goodness. All right, Ronan, we're going to let you go. We got some other people waiting. Yeah, thank you so much. Sure, thank you. Your callers. Those are my favorite, too. Okay, well, thanks. All right, so we've got another one that's been waiting since the beginning. So this is Jacob in Illinois. You're on with Matt and Tracy, and you wanted to ask about helping theists who are with religion because it's how they were raised? Well, it pretty much started out as um, people in my family. In the fallacy of tradition and the fallacy of I was raised this way, I'm not going to change. It doesn't matter what you present, that closed-mindedness. Okay. Do they have any other views other than religion that they're that closed-minded about? Uh, parenting, uh, criminal justice, racism, uh, think pretty much everything, work. At least they're consistent. The best, the greatest, everything. <laughs> yeah. It's very hard. I'm a liberal. I'm an atheist. I've been an atheist since high school, and that's a whole story on its own. But it's just trying to sit down and have a conversation, and the truth or relevant information in a conversation gets rejected as just being my opinion, when in fact is what I'm saying. In fact, what I'm saying is not just my opinion. It is relevant, and it is true. I just put out a video a couple days ago about uh, people who rely on personal testimony instead of data. Um, Yeah which might be worth watching addressing this. Tracy may have a different view on this. I'm afraid my answer to you is short, and that is I'm convinced that there are some people who are unlikely to change their mind ever, but until they tell me that and demonstrate that that is the case, I don't know how to tell the difference between somebody whose mind will be changed and somebody's mind who won't, so I'm going to talk to everybody. But as soon as they're at a point where they're shutting it down, nothing you say is going to convince me, um, mm-hmm. we, we stop having those conversations. We might have other conversations about... Other things? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, why you perhaps should change your mind. Have you ever been wrong about something that you thought you'd never change your mind about? I haven't run across anybody who, who would say, I've never found myself to be wrong about something that I was incredibly confident about. Yeah, there uh, there's be been a lot of things. There's been lots of things where I thought I knew the answers, but I didn't. And I, it, it is scary to make that change. But there's a thing about being wrong. Once I know that I'm wrong, I'm going to no longer be wrong. And I just don't get how people just don't embrace that way of thinking. They want to remain ignorant. They want to remain because this is how they were raised. Because they're, they're, they're afraid of being in a position wrong. where they don't know the answer. Right now, well, they think they know the answer. And like you were saying, maybe that's the conversation to have. Yeah. You know, maybe that's the conversation to say, like, wow, well, in my, per- in, like, for my life, if I'm wrong about something but very convinced of it and someone shows me that I'm wrong, then they've done me a big favor. Like, would you rather just not know if you're wrong or do, are you just never wrong? Right? <laughs> like, you can have that conversation maybe. And people very close to me say, I don't want to know the truth. And it's like, okay, how do I have a conversation? Especially when they try to say that I need to believe the way they believe. Oh, I don't, I don't consider you an atheist. <laughs> like, so you want to, you want to tell me that I need to also not care if what I think is true? <laughs> like that's, that's really what, their that's pitch. What, wow. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what some of these people, you know, yeah. Oh, Jacob, I don't care I don't if I believe a pack of lies, and you need to believe what I believe. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Wow. And a lot of it is you need to believe what I believe because I'm older than you or I've had more life experience oh, than you. Yeah. Like, no, just because you're 40 I believe you should old. go fuck yourself. 
If somebody tells me I should believe something because they're older than me, I believe you should go fuck yourself. I would be the the next question I would have is what if I can show you someone older than you yeah. that believes what I believe? Oh. Yeah, and I'll bring that up. <laughs> now what? I'll bring that up with like, okay, criminal justice, they were saying a family was saying we should just put gallows and just start executing people right and left. And I said, well, the evidence suggests that's not correct. Well, it doesn't matter. It's it's always worked. It has not always worked. And it's they always, can't the fact I guess it's always worked to kill people. Yeah. Um, they if can't, somebody's dead, they can't steal no more. Yeah, they can't accept the fact that I'm younger, but yet I, I value intellect and that, okay, spanking your kids is wrong. Right. If I told a parent, oh, my, my aunt, oh, don't slap him, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, she would come unglued. But yeah. yet I choose to use a different method, maybe like a safety harness or physical Put them in a play, have, give them a, an area that's for them to play in. Yeah. To limit the ability to do things, I'm wrong. I'm not following her away. You yeah. know, it, it's. Gosh it's darn it. We've always beaten our kids and killed people, and we're not about to stop now because it works. Well, as the Bible says, spare the rod, <laughs> spoil the child. And we don't want to spoil the child. Just kill everybody and beat the children. It's, it's all. It's, it's, we're gonna, here we are, generations later, still doing it. So spoil that right. child. We're going to spoil that child a hundred different ways, but not by sparing the rod. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. Um, and there's also um, a fallacy of why I, I turned out just fine. That's actually a fallacy that was published in the, in the what's it the New York Times. The fallacy I've turned yeah. out just fine. Yeah, like, they haven't turned out just fine, and you know. Yeah, exactly. even if they did turn out just fine, that wouldn't prove that it was the right method. Right. It's like saying exactly. I flipped the coin to decide whether or not I should cross the street with a blindfold, and I survived. Right. Uh, but I would argue that you didn't turn out just fine because you learned the wrong lesson. Yeah, and, and it's almost like who would who would let's say that you could achieve the same result one one method being violent and brutal and cruel mm-hmm. and the other mm-hmm. method being kind and understanding and like you know oh, compassionate like, like why would you say you know both methods work but I just prefer the brutal cruelty and yeah. violence right so exactly. I'm gonna go that route right my uh, my sister has dogs. And yes. she loves her dogs and she trains her dogs and they're like well-trained yeah. dogs, right? Yeah. Like she just she loves dogs. Yeah. When I was a kid, uh, we had a dog and my dad trained it by beating it, right? Yeah. Like the dog did yeah. something wrong, you beat it. If it, you know, crapped in the wrong the spot, nail, you, you did vicious things. hitting the nail on the head. Oh, oh, you're picking up everything I'm throwing down. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. So, arguments about, because they're all farmers, they all grew up on farms. Yeah. So, it's very much. I need to close off my YouTube. I'm, I'm close off the YouTube and only do a. Oh, hold on here a minute. But I would just say, you know, like to borrow a religious phrase, God help a person that would ever lay a hand on one of her dogs. Exactly. That is not yeah. going to happen. That's not yeah. going to go down. If it's okay for you to beat your kids, can I do it when they're running around my table at the restaurant? Is that okay? If you're not going to do it, can I? You know, that's I just absurd. Think so. I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think that it'd be all right just because you know. Because they view their kids as their property. Yeah, but I guess my point, my point though, is that if you can get the dog to not crap in the house by being kind to it and teaching it not to crap in the house, mm-hmm. or you can exactly. get the dog to not crap in the house by beating it and throwing it outside when it craps in the house. Then you're just lazy or violent. Yeah, I mean, exactly. just to say that I prefer the method that is like more brutal, to me, it's like, well, then you're a less humane individual. You're yeah. just like less human. Okay, whenever I pick the more humane option let's say okay i'm walking with a five-year-old 
I said, okay, you're going to walk with me as a fighter. You have to put a safety harness on. Oh my God, I'm a child abuser. I'm a pedophile. It's wrong. It's weird. No, I'm keeping this kid from running out in the street. I'm keeping this kid from running off. But if I'm not hollering and yelling at that kid and forcing respect out of that kid, but yet giving them the option to misbehave and punishing them for it, what's wrong with this preventing the whole situation? The mindset is with everything. Yeah, I'm still not sure how I feel with kids on leashes. I think it gives people a visceral negative feel because they associate it with an animal. But I think that the reason we put these leashes on our animals is because we love them and we know that they don't understand street safety, which is just like a child, right? Like children are also don't understand street safety. I would fully acknowledge that a a leash on a child and a a harness on a child would be better than some other options. I'm just not necessarily convinced that it's the best, but I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I mean, that's my method, but it's certainly less brutal. Not, not to get off on a tangent on that, but that's just one example, or exactly with the animal training. Um, yeah. Well, I'll give you a good example, right? So I have a friend, I've got a friend that got in trouble because they went into a garage where somebody was storing dynamite um, when they were four years old and they thought it was a box of Lincoln Logs. So they were playing with the Lincoln Logs when grandpa came home and got a beating for it. Now, what does grandpa have dynamite in reach of a four-year-old in the garage? Like, how is that? I'm not violent, and I I don't really advocate for beating anybody, but if anybody in that scenario deserved a beating, it was grandpa. Yeah, I mean, in a hyperbolic way, you're going, somebody beat some sense into grandpa. How dare you pick up that gun I left loaded on the counter? Yeah, I mean, where is the the responsibility for the adult in this room to, to not expect a four-year-old to obey don't go in there you know don't go in that room how about put a lock on the door grandpa there's dynamite in that garage yeah what if there was a lighter out there and the kid decided to set that lincoln law house on fire oh hey that little wick oh that's that's cool watching that wick burn yeah so anyway, yeah, I mean, people, they yeah. think that way, right? They're, they're, they engage in poor parenting and then they blame the child and get frustrated exactly. by the, by the negative interaction. That led to the mishap. Let's blame a four-year-old and just beat the kid instead of taking exactly. responsibility for being the person responsible for the four-year-old's exactly. safety. Okay, it'd, be, it'd be nice, if, it'd be nice if people would recognize that you can be the best parent in the world and your kids might still end up screwed up, but oh, yeah. the shittier you are, the higher that likelihood <laughs> increases. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got two young cousins and they're so indoctrinated in the church and they like to act out the communion and everything. I just sit there watching. It's like, oh, no, only my mom and dad know I'm an atheist. No one else in my family knows it. So I got to kind of walk that fine line, too. Yeah. We'll see if you. So there's no there's no easy answer for you. Sometimes sometimes somebody you're never going to change their mind. Maybe somebody else will. Maybe somebody. And and. But the thing is, you just keep engaging honestly, letting people know that, you know, you value them and that you're like, I had a conversation with my mom at one point where I pointed out, I'm, it's not that I'm convinced what you believe is incorrect. I am just not convinced that it's correct. And I'm convinced that your reasons are bad enough that they don't warrant belief. You could maybe somebody find a better reason and that would convince me that what you believe is true. 
that helped a little bit. And we did. We ha- I remember one caller, and I don't know if this is useful or not, but we had a caller who was concerned because his dad was having some me- medical issues, and he was uh-huh. a faith healing believer and wouldn't go and get help. And this guy actually was able to help his father by introducing him to more liberal Christians who didn't mm-hmm. have the faith healing beliefs that uh-huh. then worked from within the framework of we believe in God and we believe the Bible, and but we think you should see a doctor. because And so they were able to talk to him more on his level instead of as somebody making secular arguments. They were making like other religious arguments that softened his view and sort of got him to a doctor. What happens if the faith healing dude is more knowledgeable and ends up making more convincing bad arguments than the liberals who are making convincing bad arguments, and now you've got more faith healers? Yeah, yeah. That's why I prefer good arguments. Well, I do too, but at the same time, if your dad's going to die because he won't take his medicine, I mean, I can see, you know, going to somebody that could maybe, that he'll listen to. Although, if he got better, now now he gets another case. I'm shaking the TV behind us by jiggling my leg. I'm jiggling my leg. You sure it's not me? I don't know. One of us is doing it. Maybe it's combined. I just lost the call screen list. There we go. Okay. So we got... I think that's probably all we've got for that, Jacob, I guess. Oh, right. I, ha- I do have one recommendation from the control room. They're saying to recommend Parenting Beyond Belief. So we actually have a secular show um, that deals with parent- yeah. secular parenting. So um, just FYI, um, that's out there too. If you, I think I'm going to start an organization that's similar to Parenting Beyond Belief that's about dealing with your parents. Okay. Yeah, uh, that would be a good one. because I th- I believe Childing I Beyond Belief. Uh, yeah. Offspringing Beyond Belief. Ooh, that's nice. <laughs> how to deal with your religious parents alright well thank you Jacob and good luck uh, that's well, a tough one and I'm sorry that you're stuck in that situation well yeah yeah. I'm, 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 it's a little bit better now because I'm out on my own there's still no secular organization where I'm at uh, I'm, yeah I mean there's a university but there's still no secular student alliance they got rid of it for some reason so I, I thought about looking into that but start one well I could try can a non-student start it I'm going to be doing a. I'm going to be doing a debate at Baylor, uh, either in February or April. And Baylor has an unofficial secular student alliance because they can't have an official secular student alliance. But even at a Christian university, there's a bunch of secular students. Uh, you could put some feelers out, I guess, is what Matt is saying, and yeah. just see. Nice. Nice. Okay. Yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. Thanks very much. Uh, every group, every atheist group out there got started by somebody who was frustrated by the fact that they didn't, didn't have, have an a, atheist a group, group for them or didn't like the existing groups That's or split off from the existing excellent group. Excellent point. But, yeah. All right. I know you guys got a bunch of other calls to get to. Right, thanks, Jacob. We know about dealing with unreasonable people. And, <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Thank thanks. you. All right. So that was Jacob. And I was told that we lost um, – Brian, and so he asked if he could get back on. So, uh, Brian, we're putting you back on. Um, you're in Georgia. You're on with Matt and Tracy, and you say, precepts say their worldview is justified by God. How can we have a conversation with them about this? You there, Brian? Hey. Hey. Uh, I am. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you now. Wonderful. I just want to tell you all hi. Uh, hi, Tracy. Hi, hi, Matt. Hi. Um, I've been a fan of the show for some time, and um I haven't ever called in a show before today. All right, so, first time uh, caller. I'm excited to be here. So on the, pre- uh, yeah, on the precept thing, on the precept thing, Talk Heathen had a guy who was essentially a presuppositionalist call in, and we were originally going to ask him to call in as well, but now he's no longer welcome to talk to me when I'm on the show. Um, yeah, I heard that. Yeah, it was, uh, it's incredibly frustrating. I have been kind of 
Yeah, I had kind of been rolling this idea around in my head for a while. In fact, I had seen the uh, watched the debate you had with uh, Matt Slick in regards to uh, secular uh, oh. secular morality. The one, the one you should the one you should watch, and and you'll have to forgive me for even rec- recommending this is the debate that I did with Sir sure. Bruggen Kate, who's a presuppositionalist. I saw that one too. Yeah, the truth about this yeah. is that. Um, I presuppose the logical absolutes and and continue right. to uh, consider them and value them. I'm not absolutely certain about anything and will continue to value them until somebody demonstrates that there's a reason not to because they continually to demonstrate their usefulness and we can't reason without them. They precepts go a step further in saying, oh, I can account for the logical absolutes. God is the foundation beyond the absolutes. And I prefer to use Occam's razor and not multiply entities unnecessarily. So... If I presuppose the logical absolutes, and they also agree with me about the logical absolutes, and they presuppose a foundation behind that, um, why? First of all, they can't right. demonstrate. And, uh, they can't demonstrate this foundation. They can just assert it, and they can make claims like, "Well, without it, you can't know that reason is reasonable." Well, uh, I don't need to know. Gravity works whether I know why it works or not. I could be correct about why gravity works. I could be incorrect about why gravity works. I could not know, but it works. And that's the same thing with reason. The foundations of reason are either reasonable, which they continue to demonstrate that they are. As a matter of fact, you would have to assume they were true in order to even attempt to show to, to prove they were false, which means you cannot get there. As far as I can tell, I can't go any further back in time than the, than the Planck time to evaluate uh, and the notion of before the Big Bang doesn't make sense. And for me, the notion of what serves as a foundation for the logical absolutes doesn't make sense because nobody can demonstrate any such foundation. Some things, it is entirely possible, just are without any reason why. Yep, and I certainly I understand that, and I'm in complete agreement with it. Oh, and if they, um, if they object but- to that, then you get to point out that they think that God just is without any reason why. Except you can't even right, demonstrate which, that like you can a logical absolute. Right. I mean, you, you, might be, you might argue about whether or not it's absolute, but you can certainly show that it applies to everything you can think of or everything you can observe. Yeah, I'm just saying when you say there are some things that just are without known reasons, uh, if they object to that, the the thing they're asserting fits that category right. and that that demonstrates right. a conflict yeah well the the problem as i see it is that that whole conversation right there is just a red herring i mean i i understand you can get into the philosophy of it and talk about the logical absolutes and whether or not you have a basis for you know for uh presupposing those but it really didn't get into the meat of the subject like with the debate you and Matt Slick had it really didn't get addressed by him as far as whether or not the the topic of the debate was addressed it went into well you know the brain fizz thing yeah so my question is is there a way to get past that to actually have a conversation um and one of the things i've kind of been rolling around in my head was whether or not you could just say all right well you have god as your as your uh, absolute universal whatever kind of jargon you want to use your basis and mine is Bob. Bob says that this is that, and Bob is my Bob is my foundation. And yeah, you can't question Bob because of Bob. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that, um, as long as as Bob is properly analogous to the to the solution that they're offering, um, because it shows that right. they have no more. They will go down 
other routes. There's countless apologetics. If you try to do something like this, um, you know, then you'll get into argumentum ad populum where it's like, oh, well, you know, countless people throughout almost all societies have believed in a God and yet nobody believes in this Bob thing, which doesn't prove that you're wrong. Um, but the answer to your question was, is there a way to get around it? And the reason I said no so quickly is because if the person you're talking to does not and will not get around it, then nothing you try is going to do is going to make any progress. If, you know, you're not going to get a presuppositionalist uh, to get outside of that framework until they want to. Right. And that's that's kind of thing. I'm, I'm trying to figure out, are they honestly stuck? that they feel like they can't have a conversation without your worldview being the same as theirs? Or is this just a complete diversion to get away from talking about what you wanted to talk about to begin with? It's, a, of- it's, it's for me, and while I don't actually read minds as much as I might pretend to, um, the entire presuppositionalist argument is mm-hmm. here are some people who are terrified of not having an answer and now they've got one, and they've got one that you don't have, and you're willing to acknowledge that you're okay not having an answer, and all they're going to do is keep throwing it in your face that without an answer, you can't know that reason is reasonable. Well, what they're doing and what happened today on Talk Ethan was they're setting up two things. They are saying that absolute certainty is required for knowledge and rationality, which is not true for either of those, and that faith is is any belief held in the in the absence of certainty. Well, I don't think there's any path to absolute certainty ever. So what I do is I draw a line and say, everything on this side of the line is absolute certainty, which I don't think we can get to. And everything on this side is varying degrees of confidence, and we proportion those to the available evidence. And then somewhere further down here, there's a line where I then define everything that's out further there on the left to be a faith thing, because faith is the excuse you give when you don't have a good reason. And so when you give good reasons for your belief, what is their response? It's to question reasoning itself. Aaron Ra gets incredibly frustrated and anybody who goes down this line because ultimately it comes down to them just saying, you can't know that reality is real. You get into issues of solipsism, you get into all kinds of issues. But knowledge doesn't require right. certainty. Is- yeah, knowledge doesn't require yeah. certainty. Reasonableness doesn't require certainty. I've never advocated or at least not advocated for certainty in the past probably 13, 14 years uh, or maybe less than that right. for absolutes. Um, yeah, I presuppose the logical absolutes. And I'm fine with that because my confidence level in their applicability is proportional to the continued evidence and the absurdity uh, of this notion. They might as well be saying, why do you get to say that this is a contradiction? Because it is. Oh, why do you get to say contradictions are bad? Maybe they're not, but they are by, they are conflicting with sound reasoning. We know this is like earlier call today. We we can humans can reason and we're pretty good at it even though we're bad at it on occasion. Uh, and I would right. never use reasoning and by the way science doesn't require absolute certainty. Science isn't making proclamations about truth. Science is saying, "Hey, given all the available information, here's the best we got and we'll revise it when we get better." Right. I, I think and that is infinitely more does. honest than magic man done it. <laughs> Right. And it just kind of comes down to, you know, what seems to work and what keeps working. I don't have to have, I don't feel like I have to have a logical, you know, a foundation for all this to know that this water bottle is going to carry water and I can drink out of it. And I keep doing that and it keeps on working. 
Yeah, See? I mean, that t- I use the example of crossing a busy street and either using the data that you have based on your observations of vehicles coming or ignoring that data right. and whether you believe that the outcomes yeah. in trying to cross the street would be the same or if you think there would be better outcomes predicted based on observing the traffic and actually um, conforming to that as evidence that it's not safe to cross. Am I absolutely certain that there's not an invisible, <laughs> inaudible bus heading at me at 60 miles an hour? No, because I'm not absolutely certain of anything. But I'm but reason- reasonably confident that there is. I have no reason to believe that there is an in- invisible, inaudible bus coming at me or that one even exists or anything right. like that. Am, am I taking it on faith that there's not an invisible, inaudible bus? Well, I guess it depends on your definition of faith. But if you want right. to call it faith, I don't think whatever faith I might exercise in not thinking there's an invisible, inaudible bus coming at me is fundamentally different from the people who are using faith to say, ah, there's this magical being that exists outside and inside of space and time, and he cares who I sleep with. Yeah. And I don't think that's the that's the definition. The definition of faith that we're talking about as far as whether or not you trust your senses to go across the street and not get hit by an invisible bus that you couldn't see, I don't think that's the same kind of faith as what people are talking about when they're talking about their faith in God or any sort of religious stuff. And... Unfortunately, I think that uh, the caller earlier, um, Talk Heathen, uh, fake name, um, he calls and seems like the only thing he wants to do is have somebody say, I have to use faith for this. Yeah. In the same way that we're talking about crossing the he wants to get He wants to and, get those guys to say that they are exercising faith because then he gets to say, well, so right. am I. And you don't get to poo-poo my faith because you're faith. But here's the thing. I've driven in a car and looked to my right or looked to my left and checked my mirror and saw no car and started to move over into that lane and then saw a car. Now, was it in my blind spot? Because I know I have one. We can demonstrate that. Was I just not paying attention? Did I not move my head around enough? Or was that car actually invisible? And so when I evaluate these things, I'm going to assign a rough probability to them. And it's probably that I wasn't paying enough attention and did not properly check my surroundings. It's less likely that a car was invisible and became visible right as I was getting ready to move into that lane. Yes. Yeah. And I, I certainly understand that. Um yeah, the, the problem, I think, with the word faith is that it's kind of slippery and that it doesn't always mean the same thing to different people. And and I like that you uh, often use confidence in, um, in, your, in talking about uh, what you expect based on prior knowledge, based on prior experiences. That, yeah, and the only, the only answer— Keep on holding water. The only response that precepts can do is to say, well, how can you trust your senses? How can you trust the prior information? And the answer that Tracy and I would both give is, what other choice do I have? Yeah, what am I, what am I going to go on if, if I can't go on that? How do I proceed at all? Yeah. Why should I not well, that, trust the thing I, that is the only thing the I only can thing d- I demonstrate? Have, yeah. but, and that's what I'm trying to point out with the absurdity of Bob. You know, the Bob is, Bob tells me, you know, I don't trust myself. I trust what Bob tells me. And Bob tells me that this is true and that's not, and that you can't have a worldview in which you can trust your senses or know that that's this, except for if you 
also believe in Bob. It, it's it may be good for making a point. My biggest objection to it is that I I don't believe Brian that you actually believe in Bob. I think you're offering it up. And so I think that anybody, any precept that you're well, arguing with is going to say, well, you don't actually believe hey. Bob. And I don't know if this is correct or no, not, but I no, mean, the first, not question Bob. the first thing I would think of, like as a Christian, as a, you know, a Christian in the past is that I would probably end up mm-hmm. saying, how is, how is Bob just not another label for my God? Yeah. Right. Well, Bob doesn't like your God. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, but that's, it's, it's, it's like, the, sorry, the question is whether or not this person wants to actually have a conversation in regard to, you know, epistemology in regards to religion or apologetics, or if this is just their shtick and they just want to just throw this out there and yeah. that's it. I think most apologetics uh, is just about getting the I heat off. I mean, in my opinion, yeah. most apologetics is about how can I just get the heat off. I can tell you the one thing I've done consistently over many years in many debates that absolutely, mm-hmm. it's it's from Christians in particular and from theists in general. The biggest yeah. complaint that they have about me is, yeah, Matt just keeps moving the burden of proof on us. Matt doesn't want to adopt any mm-hmm. burden of proof for his beliefs. Well, no, that's not true. Right. If I tell you what I believe, I'm happy to defend it, and you'll either agree or you won't agree. But when it comes to this God thing, atheism is not. I believe there are no gods. That's within the realm of atheism. Mm-hmm. It is, I am not convinced right. that you are correct, that there is a God. Uh, and my being yeah. unconvinced is not a position I need to defend. If I say that your argument is fallacious, that's a claim. I have to actually defend that. If I say that your God doesn't exist, I would have to uh, deal with that as well and, and, and demonstrate that. But if I say your argument is unconvincing, and here's why it's unconvincing, I've met every burden of proof I need to. And as a matter of fact, Richard Carey wrote an article, which I disagree with on a couple of fine points, but overall I'm probably on board, in that atheism either doesn't can't be viewed as something that has a burden of proof to meet, or it already has, in much the way that the the disbelief in invisible, inaudible buses has already met its burden of proof uh, in that it is warranted to not believe this because there isn't sufficient evidence for it. Right. But. Um, sorry, I forgot what I was going to say next. Oh, yeah, the, the thing I thought you were going to come up with was that people get frustrated about saying, I don't know. Um, and it's like, well, if you don't have an answer for this, then my answer stands, which is obviously not true either. Yeah, uh, it's fine to tell so people yeah, you don't know either. Guy, yeah, right. I don't, I don't know, but you're the, convinced that you do know. Yeah, so I'd like to know mean, you, yeah. why you know, how you know. Right. And and I know because of, you know, Bob. Okay. It's just, it's ridiculous. And it just it just frustrates because... You go through this argument again and again and again, and it's like we're we're not even getting to the to the meat and potatoes here. You just want to you want to hash this out, and there's no answer for it because at the end of the day, we're all going to have to presuppose reason, and that's what we're stuck with, as far as I can tell. All right, well, Brian, thanks a lot, Brian. Yeah, we're gonna have to let you go, but thanks for your okay, call. Well, I'm, the call screener was very helpful. She was very nice, and she got me back on after the call got dropped. And That's I what they let us know. Okay, go. yeah, totally. 
All right, so we're going to go ahead and let Brian go. Now, we do have one other call, and I did check with the with the um, control room on this, and they said that despite the fact that pizzas have shown up, mm. so in, in the interest of full transparency, dinner is here. But I did ask, do we want to go ahead with this final call? And they said, yes, let's go ahead and take this call. So we'll go ahead, and we will get with uh, Mohammed in Berlin, who wants to know wants us to know that asking for evidence for God is a fallacy. And I preemptively just address this a little bit, but what what's the point here, Mohammed? Welcome to the show. Oh yeah, hi. I, I'm getting really late. Uh, you're doing great. I, I can't hear you. He's very quiet. Can the hello? control room do anything about that? Hello. Hey, yes. there you are. That's better. Oh, oh. Uh, hi. Thank you very much for getting me on the call. And you guys are doing an amazing job. And I know it's getting late for you as well. I will get you to the like. So it says here that atheists asking for evidence of God is a fallacy. Which fallacy is that? Uh, so basically I was thinking that um, atheism, as you define it, is a lack of belief, uh, which basically means that uh, you might have made some effort to, you know, look for evidences of God. Uh, is it so? So atheism is I'm not convinced that there's a God. It may also be I'm convinced there is no God. It may depend on the God as to whether you take a strong or weak stance. But in either of those cases, if someone is saying a God exists, how is asking for evidence for that claim a fallacy? Right. Uh, because religions are basically a belief system. And if you are asking for like evidence of God uh, and that is given to you, uh, then what's the belief? I mean, that is then known to you, isn't it? Okay. So religions are belief systems, but the claim there is a God is a claim about something that exists. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So how is it ever a fallacy to ask for evidence for a claim that something exists? Right. Uh, so there won't be uh, evidence of God that you might find, but you might find signs that might be like... You're uh, not even coming close. So oh. somebody says X exists, and I say, give me evidence that X exists. How is it? How am I committing a fallacy? Uh, you're not. It's 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 absolutely right that uh, you know. For okay, a, 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 your your entire topic here was atheists asking for evidence of God is a fallacy. Did the call screener get it wrong, or did you? No, no, no. I did put it that way because, um, you see, religion systems are are belief systems. When it comes to belief systems, then asking for these kind of things are not right. Don't no, you? no. I have plenty of beliefs. And they're based on evidence. Uh, a belief oh, yeah. is belief is just merely being convinced that something is true or likely true, right? Uh, is true or likely true? Uh, yeah, definitely sure. Yeah, uh, but it's, it's it's probably not from uh, like based on evidence. Bullshit. Almost every I would like for everything that I believe, everything that I am convinced of, I would like for that to be based on evidence. If somebody shows me something that I believe that's not based on evidence, I'm either going to have to acknowledge, like in the case of the logical absolutes, that this is something I presuppose, although there are evidence that those things are true, there's just not evidence that they're absolutely uniformly true at all times and all places. That's different because we don't have exhaustive knowledge. But my position is that they're true and reliable until somebody demonstrates otherwise. Every other belief I have should be based on evidence. What what yeah, be, what yeah. belief what belief could someone reasonably think is true in the absence of evidence that it's true? Uh, so yeah, if you see signs of uh, you know of, of of the claim, 
That's um, called okay. evidence. Oh, okay. Actually, uh, when I went to talk to many of uh, these atheists and everything, they put the evidence for the existence of God. Right. So, for example, if I see signs of deer in my backyard, I might not see a deer, but if I see deer tracks and deer poop, those are signs that deer are in my back that are going through my backyard at some point. There might not be deer there right now, but I know that there are deer and they are going through my backyard at some point. And if Tracy tells me that she's had deer in her backyard and I say, what's the evidence? And she shows me the tracks and the poop. (laughs) Now I have evidence. Yeah, you're very right that there has to be something, something verifiable, testable, that uh, leads to, you know, by induction or something. Well, sure. That it- <laughs> yes, okay. that's uh, evidence. I believe that uh, is, uh, induction is not, you know, uh, considered uh, for eight years uh, as, a, as, as a reliable method to say that. Uh, no, 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 no. It's not for atheists. Deductive reasoning is such that the premises necessarily lead to, a, true premises necessarily lead to a true conclusion. And inductive inferences are that this isn't, it doesn't matter whether you're an atheist or not as to whether or not this is reliable. And so this is about um, whether or not the, the conclusion is consistent with that. So inference and induction, uh, we live our lives by that. They're, they're pretty damn reliable. They're just not absolutely reliable in the way a deductive argument would be. But it doesn't matter. It's not like atheists have a different view of inductive arguments than <laughs> non-atheists. But, uh, okay, so, uh, no, so I'm, no. I'm confused at what the point is because you started off with this. So let me see if we agree. I think so because uh, my point was that there might not be like absolute evidence of uh, existence of God, but there has to be like signs. Okay, well, that no, I, well, okay but here's a problem. It, the, remember the, the example I gave of the deer where I said there's deer tracks okay. and deer poop, right? And that's a sign that a deer has gone through the yard. The the problem with that, it, I mean, it's not a problem. My example is not a problem, but but the reason it's different than a god is that we know what deer tracks look like, and yeah. we know what deer poop is. Like you can follow deer around and see them poop and see them leave tracks, and know that when you see yeah. that track, it's a deer track. Now, if me, I, I could have gone and picked it, up deer poop and scattered right. it all over Tracy's yard and then stamped. <laughs> but with here, some here's deer the thing, though: if me and Matt were astronauts and we went to another planet and we found some kind of weird stuff on the planet that kind of reminded us of animal tracks. But, I mean, if it didn't, you know what I mean? We wouldn't know what it was because we're not familiar with that planet. So we would see something and we might actually be able to say it kind of resembles tracks. This looks like the same type of thing as an animal track on Earth, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, we wouldn't have, we right? we, we couldn't conclude that it was necessarily a track of a a living being right. or which living being it was. Or what on that planet might make something that looks like a track that may or may not be anything alive. So is there any belief that would be justified for for someone to hold without evidence that warrants that belief? Uh, it depends on what the what belief are we talking about. Uh, for okay. Instance, uh, you are... Yeah. So, so uh, is your position that God exists, but we don't have evidence for that? Oh yeah, definitely. So I mean, you, you, you are convinced? No, well, that God exists. Then you don't have any belief. It's like no, 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 no. Stop, stop. Pause, pause. Let's let's be careful with this because I don't want language barriers to get in the way of this. Is it your position that God exists? Uh, I believe that God exists. Yes. 
Okay, so you so hold it, it is true. your position that God exists. That's all belief I means. Believe. Belief just means you are convinced that the claim is true. Are you convinced that God exists is a true claim? I have a hundred percent belief, but no, 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 no. I didn't ask. I didn't ask about confidence level. I don't need a hundred percent of anything. Are you convinced that a God exists? If convinced means absolute certainty. No, I, okay. nothing. I'm not asking about certainty. I don't think you can be absolutely certain about anything. Are you convinced that a God exists? If someone says it's true that a God exists, would you say that's a correct statement? Oh, yes. Uh, okay. okay. Now, uh, do you think there is evidence that warrants reaching the conclusion? Oh, yes. What is it? Okay. Uh, so there are these, like, for instance, you won't, you won't get evidence for the existence of God, but you would get signs. I'm done. Okay. I'm done. All right. Okay. We're going to let that go. I, we I have think pizza. There, I think there's a language barrier. <laughs> I, I tried to clarify it because yeah. he, he went to, you won't get evidence for the existence of God, but you'll get signs. And all I was pointing to is that, you know, you're just putting a different label on something, but we're not going to get any further. All right. Today. We have pizza. Um, yes. You know, thanks, Muhammad, for the final call. Just a shout out to you there because we kind of cut that off. I cut that off. Uh, but... All right, pizza time. And thank you to everybody for watching. Thank you to our viewers on the live stream and people you, that subscribed. And thank you to the crew and to everybody. Look at that. There's the good people that make it happen who sat there like. In their new know. chair. Yeah, in the new chair from Bob Newhouse, right? It was the name. I hope I got it right. I know it was Newhouse. And uh, so anyway, yeah, good times. See you next time. Thank you. Make this Valentine's Day one to remember. It's time to get sexy. Live in Austin, Texas, an intimate performance by recording artist Shelly Siegel follows a live taping of Secular Sexuality. Food is included and drinks will be available for purchase. Get your tickets now by going to eventbrite.com and search for Secular Sexuality. That's eventbrite.com. Search Secular Sexuality. It's Sizzling Sprint Weekend. For a limited time, you can pick up an iPad on us when you lease a new iPhone. That's right, get a free iPad when you lease a new iPhone at Sprint. It's an unrivaled pair. Get both and save big when you switch to Sprint. Stop by your local Sprint store during Sizzling Sprint Weekend, July 19th, 20th, and 21st to learn more. iPad 6 Gen, 32 gigabytes, $0 per month after 1917 monthly credit for 24 months. Credit applied within two bills. Requires new line and qualifying plan. If you cancel early, remaining balance due. Tax due at sale. At Farmers Insurance, we know the sound of a perfect hot air balloon landing. And a less than perfect one. <laughs> Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state.